Man, is it that time already? Kick it! Whoa, what's the Greg Russell show? Get this party on the road. How fast can this right go? Whoa, yeah. Celebrity guests from the East Coast to the West. Who knows who he has next? At Greg Carrasco, trending Twitter like a bomb. Tens of thousands on his lawn. He's even followed by your mom. What? Broadcasting live. Here is your warning. The topics are flowing every Saturday morning. Car talk like Sherlock. The guy knows wheels like a Dow stock. Movie talk on the boardwalk. Oh, great. So entertaining. Turn up the station. There's no more waiting. This show is beginning. It's too late to escape. Let's go. Here's your host. Good morning, slackers. Slackers, you. Here is where Slacker Nation congregates every Saturday morning. You're listening to The Greg Carrasco Show, Canada's largest automotive radio show here with my friend Ken Stapen. Good morning, Ken. How are you? Good morning, Greg. I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. A little bit of a quieter week for me, but that left uh, some opportunity to get some things done around the house, doing a little painting to uh, spruce up the place. So always uh, makes you feel good when you start having that uh, sort of productive, those productive times when you have your time off and obviously a lasting reward when the space looks a lot nicer. There is nothing more in life that I hate more than painting. (laughs) Really? I mean, it's not like, I'm not going to lie, it's fairly, it is a fairly tedious process. And as long as you take the time for the preparation and you do the taping and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I pass. (laughs) Well, I'll, uh, if I ever need to paint anything, I'll sure to reach out and maybe you can help me out here. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Just give me, just give me a call. And, uh, as long as you don't mind it being a little, uh, rough around the edges, then we'll we'll be in good shape. (laughs) That's the problem. You know, I'm a bit of a perfectionist sometimes and painting is, I just, I just hate it with a passion. I, I cannot think of a, of a situation in which I would prefer to paint over not. Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) I I probably should have uh, had this context before because I failed art class in eighth grade. And that and that was the end of my artistic career. So probably shouldn't be pursuing uh, anything that has to do with painting moving forward. Well, you know, thankfully, I um, I, I don't have to do that very often. But uh, if, if I had to, uh, I will find a way to pay for it or avoid you know, exchange, it. At all yeah, costs. or you know, perform services. <laughs> I will exchange my services. Yeah, for- yeah he'll exchange <laughs> services. He'll give the painter uh, an oil change. <laughs> what, whatever you need from me, uh, you know, I, I'm good. You know, take it. Just I don't want to paint. But uh, folks, if if you haven't, um, uh, you know, if you haven't been listening to us for a little while, what you what you have on the radio right now is Canada's largest automotive radio show. We we talk about everything in relation to cars, but is. It's not restricted to it. Um, we will talk about whatever you want. This morning we have an interesting guest, and he should be uh, calling in in just a few minutes. So if you happen to be associated with the car industry in any way, shape, or form, you may want to stay tuned uh, to listen to what's going to happen in the next little while. 
the president of the Canadian Auto Dealers Association, Tim Rouse, is going to join us in a few minutes. And uh, he is going to talk about things that are super, super important, considering that uh, the government, especially the, the federal government, is pushing for some stricter um, lockdown measures as the as the weeks go on in, in preparation for this seemingly wave two that's happening. Um, you know, Tim is going to share with us uh, some important information that uh, we need to be mindful of. But um, before we get into the show, we need to pay the bills. Um, this show is brought to you by Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity. We are the home of the no commission salespeople. If you are buying a vehicle today and you choose to pay commission, you are leaving money on the table. You don't have to do that anymore. Paying commission uh, is so 1980s. And I prefer the 80s simply for the music, not for the commission. So you don't have to do that anymore. Uh, you can come down to Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity. I live there for most of the time. I, uh, I have no life. So we need to, uh, we have a, a world to conquer. And uh, we are doing it one sale at the time. And folks, we are uh, we're fighting way above our weight class. Um, you know, our market share in Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity. In Oakville Nissan, we are three times the market share that Nissan has. And uh, it's fascinating what we're seeing because the entire province is responding to what we're doing. And uh, all I promise to you folks is this. It's radical transparency. I'm going to repeat that. It's radical transparency. Whatever you want to know, we'll tell you. You might not like it, but we will tell you. Um, for the month of October, and we only have about seven or eight days left, don't forget, folks, you know, the best time to get a car is when you don't need one. Because at that point, uh, when you do need a vehicle, when your car does break down, when your lease comes to an end or your or your loan is, is finished and you need to make a decision, is when objectivity goes out the window. You need to take your time. And right now, because of the plants shutting down for most car manufacturers during COVID, um, the supply of vehicles is very, very tight. You all know, if you're in the market right now, you know how difficult it is to find a vehicle, especially the colors that you're looking for. But on top of that, the offers that are available to you today are pretty close to insane. So I'll tell you what's happening. Uh, at Oakville Nissan, you purchase any new vehicle that I have in inventory, any new vehicle that I have in inventory, and I will throw in a set of snow tires and winter mats. You, you follow me with this one? Snow tires, winter mats. You can also get 0% financing available um, almost to, to almost up forever. <laughs> so it doesn't mean that you, uh, uh, that you, you want to keep the loan forever, but uh, you, you can take your time. And uh, in the hierarchy of debt repayment, a debt that has 0%, it's got no priority. So you can take as long as you need to to pay that vehicle down. Um, on top of that, we want to establish Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity as the service center for Oakville. And uh, folks, I want you to listen to this because it's not restricted to Oakville. You can come from wherever you live. And uh, again, this is available to you and anyone that is listening to the show. Until the end of the month, uh, you can come into Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity, and we will provide you an oil change for $19. It's $19.99. Come in oil change, no questions asked, and we will also provide a multi-point inspection on your vehicle. This is unheard of, folks, and there is no catch. I can I always read the comments when I put an ad on social media. Oh, what's the catch? What's the catch? There isn't. 
Just come down, get an oil change. We'll look after you. I want you to get used to the facilities. Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity have a state-of-the-art service department. We have almost 40 bays in those two facilities. And I can tell you, there's only one condition. You need to book the appointment online or by phone because I only have you know a limited number of people working at the store and uh, there is only certain capacity that we can we can absorb so book your appointment is before the end of the month take advantage of this is very important now to make matters even better <laughs> what was the name of that chef uh, Ken that um, uh, one of our callers were talking about surreal or something the chef the chef that says we're going to step Emerald? it up a notch. Chef bam. Emerald. Emerald. There it's you go. Bam. Yes, bam. There you go. See, I got the, uh, the, the expression wrong. Bam. So we're going to step it up a notch, folks. folks. So if you come in for an oil change, now people forget that English is my second language. So from time to time, my accent comes out. So, you know, cut me some slack. Um, if you come in and get an oil change done at uh, Oakville Nissan or Oakville Infinity, we will include something else. You're going to get a free tire swap. So if you're changing your winters to snows, uh, to summer, summer to winters, um, we are going to give you a free tire swap. And also, we will include the first season worth of storage. So now you don't have to put those tires in your, in your garage. They're big and clunky. You don't have to do that anymore. We can store them for you. And uh, this is all part of the Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity experience. I can tell you, my team and myself, we are committed to make it unreasonable. I'm talking so unreasonable for you to go anywhere else that it doesn't make any sense for you to think of buying a car or servicing a vehicle without you making it down to Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity. And that is my commitment to you. And I can tell you this, a lot of people under, you know, underestimate the power of this platform. Don't. I can tell you this because the platform that we have here is what keeps us on a straight line. I will never take any chances with your vehicle, your finances, and your car. We need to take a small break, folks, and we have a very important guest coming on the other side. This is the Greg Carrasco Show, Canada's largest automotive radio show with Ken Stapen on TSN 1050. You are listening to the Greg Carrasco Show, Canada's largest automotive radio show here with my friend Ken Stapen on TSN. Uh, if for whatever reason you miss the show and you want to listen to it again or we say something that you disagree with and you want to just make yourself upset because that happens all the time. Eh? Uh, you can just go to iTunes, Apple iTunes, and um, go to podcasts and subscribe to the show and you're going to get it weekly directly into your phone. Um, before we go any farther into you know, some serious car talk, uh, I want to send a big shout out to uh, my boy Jason Ground. Uh, Jason Ground, uh, he is my general sales manager for uh, Oakville Infinity, and uh, uh, he's down right now. And uh, we, uh, as a team, my crew, is we're all thinking of you and your family, and uh, we are here for you. Whatever you need, uh, y you know, you're the man. So we, we're here for you. Um, Jason is not feeling so good these days, Ken, and, um, you know, it's amazing how, um, how important it is to keep our <laughs> checkups, our doctor's checkups on a, on a, on a you know, semi-annual basis. When was the last time you got a checkup done, Ken? Uh, for me, it's actually been 
quite a few years, to be honest. Uh, I'm actually in the process of getting a new family doctor right downtown, yeah. so a little bit closer to my house, so it's a little bit more accessible. But I think for sh- for certain um, young men, especially, uh, sort of have this sense or a lack of sense of mortality, of their own mortality. And this is something that we were discussing before the show: is that life is so fickle and can be snatched away from you at just the drop of a hat. So very important, no matter what your age is, to make sure that you're keeping up on that because uh, ultimately you can get some hints and maybe make some adjustments to your lifestyle that can avoid some serious complications down the road. Yeah, but uh, you know that's, uh, that's thankfully that's not the case with Jason. Jason is strong like bull. He's a strong dude. And uh, speaking of strong and shoutouts, I, I I need to say this, man. I hope that my boy Habib tonight just smashes the other boy <laughs> that's a scary guy uh he is uh you know in, in my opinion he is the absolute best fighter of all times he is uh, he's terrifying um how do you pronounce the other guy's name is gaichi or something gaichi oh yes. yeah i i'm not uh i'm not the one to ask about the u the ufc pronunciations yeah. no but you know tonight is a, it's a pretty big fight folks and uh if you haven't uh if you're not into ufc you probably should if there's one fight that you want to watch it's probably this one tonight uh so so I hope that Habib just uh, does it again. But um, let's get right back into this because um, there is a lot of things going on in the background, folks, that you have no idea. And uh, believe it or not, the car industry, in one way, shape, or form, touches just about everybody in the entire country. And uh, we have a special guest this morning, and uh, he is the president and CEO of Can- the Canadian Auto Dealers Association, which is the largest dealer association in the country. Tim, welcome to the show. Good morning, Gregory. Great to be here. <laughs> Buenos dias. Buenos dias. Uh, you know, I I always get pretty excited to talk to you, Tim, because um, you know, uh, often I I'm, I'm stuck with Todd. You know, Todd Bourjon from the TAD. He just sent me a text <laughs> saying that he disagrees with everything. <laughs> but uh, uh, let me let me start, Gregory, by by uh, please if you could uh, pass along also my best regards to Jason. I still know him very well. From- my previous life, so uh, uh, all the best to him, please, and uh, let him know we're we're thinking and pulling for him. Yeah, you know, it was it was pretty sudden, and uh, he's going under surgery on on Monday morning. So we uh, you know, we we got his back, and uh, you know, we the interesting thing is that at my stores we try to cross train everybody. So in the case of something like this happening, we are prepared to look after our people. Um, but uh, yeah, we're all thinking of him, and uh, thank you for the thoughts. Uh, you know, Tim. You know, the, we haven't uh, talked on air for for a few months right now, and uh, a lot of things have happened since last time you and I shared some time on air. Um, you know, what is happening with the TIV? I need to ask you this, because uh, at some point during COVID, uh, you know, the TIV, for, for those of you that are listening uh, right now, folks, is the total industry volume of cars. You know, Canada normally runs between 1.8 and, and, and 2 million. 1.8 and 2 million new cars are sold during the year. But during the, the darkness and the depth of COVID, at some point, we thought that it was going to go down to 1.1. That's not so much anymore. Where do you see the industry ending by the end of the year? Well, uh, right now, uh, I mean, a- anywhere between 1.45 and, and, and 1.6. Now, um, all of those predictions um, were done, let's say, still a couple of weeks ago. So yeah. that means they all probably need to be updated as we see how this uh, second wave and uh, and spiking of, of COVID cases in certain provinces is going to play out over the, over the coming months. So, But it's, it's amazing... Um, 
sorry, it's amazing how quickly some dealers have managed to recover because, uh, you know, on my two stores now, we have had in the last five months some of the best months that that store has ever had. Have you seen this across the country? Uh, we have seen a, a, a stronger than expected recovery, but let's let's try to keep things into perspective here, Gregory, because by September, we're down 24%. Any uh -huh. other year, we would be screaming off of the rooftops of, of what a disaster that is, right? That's right. It only doesn't look, it doesn't look that bad just because, you know, a few months ago, we thought we we're going to stare into the abyss of, of maybe minus, <laughs> you know, 60% or something, right? So let's that, just try to keep things into perspective. So yeah, while there has been some, you know, a stronger than expected recovery, the market we're is still, still down twenty four percent, right? And and some some provinces down almost thirty percent. That so, is, that is uh, quite alarming. Yeah. The so, um, yeah, the recovery is on the way. However, let's let's put it that way. The, the recovery is on the way, and and obviously a lot of the discussions that we're having with the government is okay. How can we re keep that recovery going? Yeah. Uh, how do we, uh, you know, maybe strengthen that recovery, especially as we start going into next year? Well, you know, I think it's important that, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting that you brought the word perspective. Uh, and, and the reason why I, I am optimistic, but very, very cautiously optimistic at this, is because there are some interesting forces working in the background that have allowed... Uh, businesses to stay afloat, businesses to keep going in the way that we have been managing this this COVID crisis. But uh, there are some things that are working in the background that the CADA and in, in the individual provincial associations are working towards that are affecting the entire dealer network across the country. And and this is something that I've always had a big problem with. And, and, and I know that OEMs don't like to hear me say this. Um, Every five or six years, uh, car manufacturers will come up with an image program in which we need to uh, do massive renovations at the stores that are very, very costly. Most dealers don't want to do it, but I mean, it's part of the dealer and service agreements that we have with the manufacturers. And um, there are a few manufacturers out there that are in the process of pushing out image programs. What is happening with that? Yeah, so... You know, let me start by saying that uh, having had the pleasure of, of executing <laughs> on three execu image programs while I was working on the OEM side, I yeah. do know a little bit about the subject, okay? So what we're right now as CADA, we're communicating and advocating with, with the OEMs that, that now is the exact right time to pause and to reevaluate uh, all of their image programs. And this is for, for two reasons. The, the first one is that, that dealers have always known that taking care of their customers and having efficient processes and systems in, in a dealership is much more important than the color of the tile on their showroom floor, right? And this pandemic has brought that into even sharper focus. Uh, you know, as, as, as customers want to transact much more online, mm -hmm. uh, want to, you know, uh, 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 do as much as they can remotely and things of that nature. So as an industry... We should be investing money where it matters to consumers, you know, like state-of-the-art online processes and systems, and not necessarily in changing the tiles to a color, uh, let's say, two shades darker on the Pantone color scheme, right? That doesn't add value anywhere. The second aspect of it is, as you might recall, quite a few brands um, were looking at the, at the sizing of, of showrooms as they were expanding their model lineup or going mm -hmm. into new segments, for example, commercial segments, right? Yep. They were asking dealers, rightly so, to then also update their facilities. Now, in this crisis, a lot of manufacturers have started now 
uh, also rightly so, cutting back on their model lineup for the future, or even completely exiting segments like the commercial segment. That well, is correct. Well, that's the reason that by the same token, now is also then the right time to start adjusting uh, those those uh, facility uh, requirements for, for dealers. Right. So in, in, we're in the midst of working with that, uh, with the brands and with the dealer councils of the different brands. What uh, you know, the interesting thing for me has been, Tim, is that uh, the public perception, uh, it, having a massive facility is great sometimes, but it doesn't do a lot of good for public perception because it gives the idea that there is all gobs of money that dealers have to spend uh, in order for them to just update a place and, and renovate. Uh, often, this is not done intentionally by the dealers. We are mandated by the manufacturers. And, and again, I mean, you need to keep an image that, uh, that will drive the idea of a brand. But this is very, very, very costly. Now, you know, from you know, strictly from an industry standpoint, I can tell you that if we, if if the uh, the the generation of Amazon is is buying everything online, Amazon doesn't even have stores. So at some point, the the car industry is going to have to you know pair up with the consumer buying patterns, and you know having facilities that you can put thirty or forty cars in your showroom is certainly not conducive to a profitable. Uh, enterprise anymore. So, you know, I, I really thank you for that because uh, I, I think that it's a touchy yeah. subject for many car manufacturers. When when do you see that coming to some sort of a resolution? Well, some some brands are already, you know, as is usual, I think, in our industry, some some brands are, are, are let's say, much more, I don't want to call it accommodating, but more uh, open to, to a dialogue and have already started making adjustments and are, and are developing solutions together with their respective dealer councils. Because I think that is the, the, the key piece here is, 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 uh, I, I don't think anybody has a, a perfect solution or, you know, the crystal ball into the future, but as the, as solutions are developed, it is, it is extremely important that those solutions are developed in tandem and together and jointly between the dealer network and the brand. So some brands are already, uh, doing that and have have been doing it uh, actually for quite some time, uh, and others not so much. Right, so it is our our you know uh, um, a job as as CADA together with the provincial associations to you know uh, embolden and support the respective dealer councils of the respective brands as they're having those tough discussions. So if as a dealer you're in that situation, um, uh, please talk to your dealer council, talk to your provincial association, or to us at CADA. Yeah, and uh, obviously we're we're trying to support and, and help to to change things as as best as possible. And 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 thank you for that. And let's you know moving moving along with something that is uh, you know directly related to what's happening right now. And you eloquently enough said there is a lot of perspective and that needs to be put in place. Uh, you know when we're having record months in comparison to March, April, and May. Sure, but we are still down as an industry twenty five in some cases thirty percent. Um, how long do you think the wage subsidy from the government will continue? Because there are, it's been reformed, but how long do you think right. this is going to last? So um, the, the Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy, this is, I think, one of, one of the things that, that as an association we're extremely proud. And, and also, I think all of the dealers should be very, very proud of what, what was able to be achieved here. So if you recall, when, when it first, was first announced, dealers actually would not have had access to this uh, important support throughout the pandemic. That's right. Uh, because the way it was structured um, and the capital requirements and everything else, dealers would have been offside with that. And uh, we started a very strong uh, lobby and discussion effort with the 
with the government, and we were able to, uh, obviously together with other industries, to get the, the program adjusted in such a way that in the meantime, uh, Greg, 85% of our dealer members have accessed the, the uh, emergency weight subsidy program. Okay? So that's the first important that's piece. The second piece was then to to adjust and redesign it so that it's starting in, in August and September. First of all, it was already extended for the first time until end of this year. And the, the concept of a scaling was introduced. Remember when it was originally launched, you had to yep. have a 30% decrease versus previous year. Minimum, yeah. Otherwise, you wouldn't qualify. Minimum, right? So if you, if, if you were at 29% versus previous year, guess what? You were, you were out of luck, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was then adjusted from, from August, September going forward. That is now scaled so that even if you're down 20%, you still get uh, uh, access and you still get an amount with the emergency weight subsidy, not the full amount. You know, but uh, So it gets scaled that even if you're down only 5%, you, still, you can still get uh, some benefits. That, in the meantime, that emergency weight subsidy has now been extended into summer of next year, okay, of 2021. Uh, which is important. Um, the exact, uh, let's call it, uh, rules around it are still in discussion. So we're in the midst of, of discussion with the federal government and uh, the people that designed these programs at CRA mm-hmm. of how that will look into 2021, right? Uh, so, for example, what's the reference basis here, right? This year it was 2020 versus 2019. Mm-hmm. So in 2021, is still 2019 going to be the reference basis, or is it going to be year over year, which wouldn't make a lot of sense, right? It wouldn't, so because, those, uh, you know, 2020 was not a... Yeah. 2020 was not a normal year, so you know to base that as a ben- as a benchmark is not going to have an accurate impact on on financial statements. Exactly. So that is exactly the the, the type of, of of discussion that we're having with with the federal government and and the officials at CRA. We have to say though, they have been really tremendous. A big shout out to I think our our, our government here, our federal government, and also our provincial governments in this unprecedented situation. I always say they've been building an airplane while flying it, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, so, and uh, we have to be, you know, quite honest. They've, they've done really a, a great job. Do they get it 100% right most of the time? Uh, every time, no. Uh, but, you know, I, I don't think right now it's about perfection, but it's trying to, 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 you know, improve the situation as much as possible going forward and then adjusting um, and being nimble as, as you go forward, right? Absolutely. And, and uh, again, you know, all this, uh, this stimulus money subsidies uh, will not be needed if the economy was allowed to be completely open. And we understand that that's not the case. But uh, there is another program that you guys have been working on now for quite a few months. And uh, it interests me a great deal. Uh, I, I don't know what you guys call it, but it's the junking of cars. Can you shed a little bit of light on what you're working on this? Sure. Um, it's a scrappage program, right? The scrappage Basically, program. There we this go. Is, right. So this is one that actually we're working as a as a total industry on. Okay. So this is not only the dealers through us at the CADA, but also with all of the different manufacturers and even the suppliers here in Canada. Okay. And so as a whole industry, we've put forth a, a forward a, a proposal that. Um, uh, a federal incentive is given to scrap old vehicles so that if you take a vehicle off the road that is 10 years or older, right, you get a credit, let's call it $4,000. Okay. Um, and if you then uh, turn around and you buy a newer vehicle that is uh, zero to two years old. 
So this has two effects. First of all, it will definitely stimulate, you know, the, the, the buying side and the consumer side. Uh, but it would also be uh, exactly in line with the uh, goals of this government when it comes to greenhouse gas emissions uh, reductions, right? Because the, the, the strongest um, impact that you can have uh, in the automotive industry is if you, if you take uh, a vehicle that is 10 or 12 years old off the road and substitute it with one that's zero to two years old, you have a huge advantage just because technology has progressed so much in the last 10 or 12 years. So you Absolutely. have the highest impact on it. So. That is a proposal that we're working on with the, with the federal government. The, they have been very receptive to the idea itself. Uh, however, I have to say that right now, there seems to be more of a tendency to try to gear this towards only you get only get the scrap incentive if you buy a full-blown new EV on the front end. And, yeah, but I uh, mean, that... The, sorry to interrupt you, but I mean, that, that would put a, a, a serious... Um, problem with people that cannot afford EVs. EVs are not, they haven't reached critical mass yet, and the vast majority of electric vehicles out there are driven only by the 1%. The reality is that a lot of vehicles today, they are so fuel efficient and they are so clean, although they're not 100% electric vehicles. Most cars right now are ultra-low emission vehicles. Um, I, I, do you think that that's something, that's the direction that the government is going to go to? Well, they are, they are definitely thinking of, of going in that direction from the discussions we've had. And obviously, we've given them the exact same same argument that, that you just voiced. And actually, I'll take a recording of this and maybe play it for <laughs> at the next committee meeting. Um, but obviously, we are advocating, and again, it is not only dealers, but it's also the full industry, all manufacturers and suppliers, that all, all matters of, of different engines, yeah, including internal combustion engines, are included in a program such as this. If you want to put in an accelerator for EVs, you know, that's fine. To say, listen, it's 4,000. If you scrap an old vehicle and substitute it with anything, yeah, and it's 5,000 or 6,000 if you do substitute it with an EV. You know, that, that would also be fine, right? But to limit it only to EVs is probably not the right way to go on that. Uh, like you said, the affordability question becomes uh, very, very big, right? Because if you're trading in something at 10 or 12 years old, you're getting a few thousand bucks, and the cheapest EV is somewhere north of 40K. Uh, that's not a proposition that a lot of consumers can make work. Um, I can tell you from you know from personal experience and uh, from operational experience working working at a you know with a manufacturer that has electric vehicles. Uh, I mean, you'd be pressed to find an electric vehicle that will have adequate range for under fifty thousand dollars by the time all um, you know taxes are said and done. And I can tell you that there is a right. large number of people that are driving vehicles that are between the twenty the, you know the seventeen to twenty five thousand dollar range that keep them for ten years. They will never be able to afford an electric vehicle. So, you know, if, if you really want to help the masses, that is certainly not the way to do it. And also, yeah. you know, most people that can afford an electric car, guess what? They don't need the help. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fully agreed. Fully agreed. So those are, those are exactly the arguments we're putting forth. Yeah. Um, no. and, and again, the good thing is that we're, this, this is not a, um, an argument or an advocacy effort that, that is only coming from one sector. This is coming from across the, the industry, right? Including those manufacturers that have made substantial investments for EV production in Canada over the last uh, few weeks, right?
Well, the uh, I, I think it's important that uh, the the public, by and large, and also the, the the population of car dealerships, find a way to get behind our associations and help you with the lobbying. Now, as a dealer uh, and as a person that you know has a somewhat of influence in the car industry, what can I do to help? Well, um, right now, uh, Gregory, the the proposals are are at the point where they need to be. Uh, with the government. Um, we've also been uh, always very, very clear that uh, once we need a, a sort of grassroots uh, uh, additional efforts, um, uh, you know, we will, we will uh, ask our dealers to, to send their, their respective letters and talk to the respective MPs. I mean, that's something that, that can always be done. And then, uh, Gregory, quite frankly, um, having this opportunity today to talk about it to, um, you know, a, a larger public is also much appreciated. No, I mean, I've, I've made this clear to you, Tim, as well as Todd Burjohn from the TADA, that uh, this, is, this is your microphone. Uh, we have the largest Canadian platform from automotive news and automotive discussion. And, and it's important that the public knows what our associations are doing in the background. I mean, you know, it, something that benefits the dealer, guess what? It benefits everyone. No one, no one gets the benefit if a business within our neighborhood goes out of business. No one, uh, no one gets any benefit if the dealership or businesses within our neighborhood start laying people off i mean these are the people that are that are living in our neighborhoods these are these are our family members and friends so i mean when we have large associations like the cada and the tada lobbying to keep an industry that is so important for number one the the social infrastructure of the country but also from a tax infrastructure of the country it's is something that people need to know many people you know they think of the car dealership as the it's, you know, this big obscure enterprise, you know, the car dealership. But uh, I mean, the efforts that we put forward from uh, from a community standpoint are enormous. And also uh, the number of people that are employed by the car industry is, I don't know if you have those numbers, Tim, would you have any idea how many people are employed in car dealerships alone across the country? Oh, we have over, uh, over 200,000 people employed. Yeah. Now, um, and then if you go into the extension of overall the automotive industry, the automotive industry for Canada is a substantial portion of, of, of the Canadian GDP. Yeah, if you consider uh, also the manufacturers, the manufacturing facility, the suppliers, uh, you know, the dealerships, et cetera, is, is a substantial portion of, of, of national GDP. And the other piece that you mentioned, Gregory, is, is I think also important, and, and you've also been kind enough to, to, to allow um, uh, this to be highlighted is, is the tremendous uh, efforts that dealerships have done throughout the, the, the pandemic crisis, be it from, you know, uh, giving vehicles, uh, um, uh, loaning vehicles for, for pharmacies to do runs during lockdowns, to do, you know, uh, uh, donating uh, PPEs, uh, to all sorts of things that were done, especially in the darkest times of, of this pandemic, I think is, is, uh, was, an important, uh, was an important initiative also. I, I think that it's important that dealers that do these sort of things get recognized. And, you know, I can think of one, and uh, the owner of um, New Market Hyundai, 
Uh, I remember provided close to 20 vehicles to South Lake Hospital. They donated all their loaner vehicles for them to use, you know, as they needed for all the frontline workers. And I'm thinking, damn, that's 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 an amazing initiative. And uh, I think that you know, it's 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 good that as dealers we recognize one another because we are often competing you know we're selling cars it's a retail industry but at the end of it all there are humans there are people that care about what's going on out there and uh, folks like yourself um, are really making a huge difference i can tell you tim thank you so much for coming on the carrasco show and uh, i have said to you many times before this is your microphone if you ever need to communicate and mobilize the entire dealer network we can reach it so use it uh, i'm here for you and uh again thank you so much uh for for coming on the carrasco show no thanks gregory for the opportunity stay well stay safe yeah you as you as well and i look forward to speaking to you in the near future thank you so much tim take care all the best bye thank you uh, let's take a small break, Ken, and uh, I, uh, we're going to open up the phone lines. If you have any questions or in relation to the conversation that we're having this morning, you can call the show at 416-870-1050. Again, 416-870-1050. And if you're calling from out of town, it's one 591 6876 This is the Greg Carrasco Show, Canada's largest automotive radio show with my, my friend Ken Stapen here. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. If you're just tuning in, folks, you're listening to The Greg Carrasco Show, Canada's largest automotive radio show with my friend Ken Stapen here on TSN. 1050. If you want to listen to the conversation that we had with uh, uh, Tim Rouse, the president and CEO of the Canadian Auto Dealers Association, um, you can just subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, The Greg Carrasco Show, and you will get that delivered weekly to your phone or to your computer. You can listen to us on your own time. No breaks, no commercials, just straight out conversation. Uh, Tim is such a class act. Uh, you know, I love talking to that guy, uh, Ken. No, it was a great conversation between uh, two well-respected individuals in the automotive community and some really good insight on how the market is evolving, what's going to happen down the road, and the transition or the potential transition between uh, the market going from primarily gas-fueled vehicles to electric vehicles and how you make that accessible for the average consumer. So a really good conversation, and if you missed any of it, for sure, just go find the podcast and give it a listen because a lot of good insights there. We, uh, we have a call. Let's talk to Bob in Mississauga. Bob, thank you for, uh, for calling the Carrasco Show here. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. How can we help this morning? Well, I've got the president of the Gold Corolla Society with me. <laughs> you, you might remember her. <laughs> I do, man. How are you, man? Is that a good, Gold good, Corolla? Good. Or are you just happy to see me? <laughs> That's funny. So two, two things. Yes. Your, your uh, previous uh, gentleman you had on there, Tim, I think yeah. the dealers could do the public, or I mean the, your association could do the public big favor if they uh, launched a campaign about uh, servicing. I think the cost of servicing at your dealer is mm -hmm. the same or cheaper than the independent guy. Uh, well, that's that's the way that we that's the message that we want to put forward. The problem is is that there is this there is this wrong notion that dealers are more expensive expensive to service at. When you put in all the warranty work that we did, when 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 you put in all the goodwill work that we put in, um, you know, it doesn't make any sense for anybody to not service their vehicle at the local dealer. And uh, I never really understood that. But unfortunately, dealers haven't had the best PR over the years, and um, and that's something. That 
vision that we're trying to change, Bob. Um, but uh, I mean, it's, it's going to be a matter of time. It's about consistency. It's about here, being here all the time and, uh, and actually delivering on the promises that you make here on the, on the radio. And, you know, that's the difference between myself and a politician. You can come and see me and you can hold me to task and we are right there for you. But uh, I know what you mean, Bob. Yeah, especially cost of tires. They're pretty competitive. Yeah, we are pretty competitive, and especially when you uh, when you get them for free <laughs> whenever yeah. you buy a car from us. You know, somebody said to me, oh, there is no such a thing as a free lunch. Uh, yeah, no, there isn't. But sometimes we have special offers, and uh, we build that cost into our own structure, and it doesn't cost you any more. Dealers are not allowed to sell over MSRP. That's not normal. Yeah. So we uh, th- there are some offers that people need to take advantage, and also sometimes it's just a straight-out good deal. Bob, I hope you're keeping up okay, and uh, please, please keep the, uh, the president of the Gold Corolla Association safe and uh, and keep on listening a hug from you (laughs) please do thank you thank you we have lou uh from oakville lou greg great to be (laughs) with you my friend and you know the conversation that you were having about the transition from the internal combustion engine to the electric vehicle Mm -hmm. just wanted to point out over the course of the week i've been sending you communications about one of the potential problems with evs and that's fires i heard i heard but you know i i have to be careful with where i take this one lou and i'll tell you why because every car manufacturer from time to time will come across a faulty part Uh, but uh, you know i don't think that there's been enough of this yet for it to be an actual a mass or general problem. What have you read? Well, I, you know, I've read that there have been problems with certain manufacturers with their EVs and uh-huh. uh, that it's not getting enough attention. Plus, I got communications from a former student who's training to be a firefighter, yep. and he's saying that they have advanced protocols for when they have to attend to an accident involving an EV because of the potential of fires. Electric fire, and they, they cannot be handled the same way that an internal combustion engine fire. Uh, it, you know, it's a pretty tricky situation, but I mean, let's, let's you know, scale this back to something good that uh, our association is doing. You know, my biggest beef with the electric car industry right now is that, you know, I understand that often when new technology comes out, is super expensive. If you don't, you know, if you don't remember those first flat TVs or high definition TVs, they were so so expensive. And then you reach a critical mass, and the prices go down, and everybody competes. And now you can buy an 80 inch at Walmart for you know a hundred dollars. I'm 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 using hyperbole now to to prove a point. But as of right now, and the the electric vehicle industry has done a terrible job reducing the cost. There is not a single EV vehicle in Canada that you can buy for, you know, just shy of $50,000. That's a pretty expensive card, Lou. Yeah, it is, Greg. And uh, without subsidies towards that purchase, uh, a lot of people are not going to trigger it. In fact, some of the criticism is that it is uh, providing subsidy to the top end of the market that could theoretically afford to pay full freight and PDI on that. 
Well, you know, Freedom PDI is paid no matter what, but uh, what I, you know, the biggest beef that I have with subsidies is that all those subsidies are using Canadian taxpayer dollar to fund multinational corporations that normally don't reside here in Canada. That's my bigger beef. I don't think that anyone should be subsidizing anything, to be perfectly honest with you. Until that happens, we are not going to be able to get car manufacturers to start lowering the prices and, and producing the uh, the vehicles in scale and, and masses big enough that will have an impact on the overall retail pricing of the vehicle and as of right now the the average canadian cannot afford to buy an electric vehicle well greg i can come to your dealership in oakville and pick up a new centra for what eighteen thousand dollars eighteen nineteen thousand dollars and yep deal and you know how many miles you can put on those? Because I've bought one from you. I got over two hundred and sixty thousand kilometers on that ride. The uh, if you, I don't know if you've seen the new one, but you know this is something that I preach to everyone here on the show, Lou. Uh, you know, buy the car, keep it for fifteen years, and drive it as little as possible, and maintain it to death. And uh, that right there is going to have a far greater impact on the environment that buying a an electric vehicle that you're going to be changing every two or three years. So, I mean, there is a, there is a pretty long discussion to be had on this one here, Lou, and uh, I really appreciate you calling the show, and now we have to break for the end of the hour, but uh, do you have any other thoughts on, on this subsidies being available to only to the people that don't need it? Well, I, you know, the only thing I can say is stop it. It doesn't make any sense. Yes, it's virtue signaling. Just stop it. I'll let you go, Greg, and happy capitalism. Thank you, Lou. That's my friend Lou Skisas, the happy capitalist. He is always with those tidbits of information there that uh, uh, really make a difference on my show. Um, I, I encourage Lou to call every single Saturday. He is a, he's a super, super, one of the smartest guys that I know. But uh, again, electric vehicles, all for it. Sure. Bring me an electric vehicle for $20,000. Guess what? You will have 100% penetration on that in the marketplace right now. Unfortunately, right now, most people that are driving Teslas, I say most, not all, most, it's just virtual signaling. That's all, that's all it is. You're flexing. You're flexing. You don't care about the environment. You're just showing off. Cut it out. We have the money wizard on the other side of the hour. Folks, if you just tune in, this is the Greg Carrasco Show, Canada's largest automotive show with my friend Ken Stapon here on TSN 1050. Let's take a small break. We'll be right back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to the Greg Carrasco Show here, Canada's largest automotive radio show with my friend Ken Stapon on TSN. You can also subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. You'll get it weekly. It goes straight to your pocket where that phone is, or your hand. Most people now will never leave their houses without their phones, or your computer, or wherever you want to listen to us without the interruptions or commercials. Now, you know, a lot of people don't understand this. You know, commercials are not a bad thing. That's what keeps us going. You know, somebody's got to pay for it. You're not paying for the radio. You're not paying for the podcast. So somebody's got to pay for all of this. That was an interesting hour, and now we're going to dig into some other things. Um... Best friend of the show, Money Mike, is in the house. Hey, Mike, how are you? Allergies aside, I'm doing quite well. Are you sure they're allergies? Well. Are you sure? 100%. You don't have the COVID, do you? This is my time of year <laughs> that I loathe 
to the core of my being. Mm. That that in springtime is is equally bad. Yeah, I think that uh, I I am the swift definition of allergies. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'm allergic to life. Anything <laughs> you you know anything that I come in contact with, I'm allergic. I pop you know antihistamine like Tic Tacs. Yeah. At any given point, I will have six or seven of them in one day. I'm not joking. So I, you know, the people at the local uh, shoppers drug mart, they they see me, and I will buy you know a hundred and fifty dollars worth of antihistamines at once, and uh, it it seems like it's part of my budget. Should I have, be. I have an antihistamine budget. Yeah, sad but true. <laughs> uh, folks, Money Mike is the person that manages my personal finances. He's been with me for a long time, and uh, I've known him for about twenty years, and he is the only person that I trust managing my monies. And uh, just like many of you have already done, um, you can reach Money Mike at 905-320-6762. Now, that is his number. That's not the number on the show right now. So if you have any questions for the show, we are live. Uh, you can call 416-870-1050, but you know that number already. So Money Mike's direct line is 905-320-6762, or you can send them an email at moneymike.ca. So this is for you, for those of you that don't know what it's up if you don't know what's going to happen with your retirement if you don't know what's going to happen with that inheritance if you don't know what's going to happen with all that investment portfolio that you have at the bank that gives you zero return and zero communication in zero relationship and you know maybe it's time for a change Man, that's a pretty good introduction that you're in there. <laughs> I'm not going to stop you. Keep going. <laughs> I can talk about this for hours. So, a big shout out to my friend Greg Walker. Greg Walker is um is uh, he started as a listener of the show, and uh, then we met when I was running uh, Hyundai Vocal a few years back, and uh, he bought a Genesis from me, and um, you know we became pretty good friends. He's one of my best friends. I think he's. I don't want to. I don't want to. Say the wrong age, but I think it's... 59. It's a, he's 59. Uh, he's 59 years he's 59. old. <laughs> but anyways, his, um, you know, some of his family members are coming to see you, Mike, next okay. week because they need some help. Sure. They are getting nowhere with their bank. And uh, unfortunately, banks, we all know what banks do with your money. They make it disappear. So you know, that's not what we want our money to do. Um, how have you been this week other than your allergies? It's been it's been very busy. We've had uh, actually a, a pretty inspirational week. We had a, an event on Thursday, I guess it was. We had uh, Martin Luther King the Third speaking uh, to an event for our clients. Really? And yeah, yeah, very impressive, very impressive. The the company started doing these virtual events for our clients. Um, obviously, since since COVID, so we've had. Um, a few inspirational speakers. We had Simon Sinek for one of them. Uh, they had some, um, you know, some great entertainment. So we have an event coming up in a couple of weeks that's going to have Sarah McLaughlin and Jim Cuddy and, uh, you know, a number of, of big Canadian names that's going to perform. And uh, we even have Comedy Night, uh, which is something we've been running for over a decade, but yeah. it used to be live. Obviously, now it's going to be virtual, but, uh, you know, Colin Mockery is going to be uh, performing, he and his wife. And this uh, is all virtual? It's all virtual. Wow. Yeah. So it, it's it's been a fun week. We've been busy with it, and uh, and that was a, an inspirational end to the week or thursday night anyway what was the uh, the number one token that you got out of this uh, martin luther king the third oh you know what the, the great thing is i don't i don't need a single token we have the entire hour available for playback and uh, it's something i plan on going back 
uh, and listening to again. Um, you know, his message is is one uh, to inspire people on on how we should all be getting along better and the things that we can do to end some of the discord that's going on in society right now. I was surprised, although he was not political, uh, he had very specific political suggestions on where he thinks the country needs to go and will likely go in this upcoming election. I didn't think he would go there. Um, but, but he did. He did. He did. And respectfully so. And, and you know, uh, it was it was an interesting hour. Well, sure. I, I think that um, I think it's important to recognize that, you know, society is going more of the way of scaring people into sharing their true opinion. Uh, you know, this the cancel culture is really having an awful effect on discourse, on conversation. And no, everyone is afraid to be honest. Everyone is afraid of sharing their true feelings towards things. So it's always a breath of fresh air when somebody just, whatever that is, they just share their views on something. Yep. I mean, so long as it's not, you know, something ridiculous or extreme, um, I'm always open f to have a healthy, aggressive, but healthy uh, exchange of ideas and debate them. I mean, that's how you get rid of bad ideas. Yeah. You know, sunlight, expose them, talk about them. You know, and at the end of it all, you, you you need to be able to stand your ground. You need to be able to defend a position that you have. And if you do a good enough job, maybe you'll sway somebody to your line of thinking. You know, this is what I try to do here every Saturday. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I, I, I made a commitment to myself that I was going to try to do, it, it was to make a difference. I wanted to make a difference uh, as it pertains to the car business. But, I mean, there's so much that I can talk about the car business without, you know, just people saying, oh, you know, how many oil changes and whatnot. But, <laughs> you know, so that's why we started to expand into different things. Yeah. And, uh, you know, something else that I felt that was a bit of a vacuum was on how much misinformation, disinformation, and just straight out lack of knowledge there was on financial uh, education. Uh, on retirement, on savings, on wealth accumulation. And uh, I, I find that many people, and, and this is something that I, that I talk to my therapist about, you know, I can, I can manage a quarter of a billion dollar corporation, but sometimes I have trouble, you know, balancing my checkbook at home because I, I forget, you know, I'm mm -hmm. so involved in what I'm doing outside yeah. that when it comes to my own finances, I needed to have someone that kept me straight. And, uh, and sometimes... You cannot be emotionally involved with it. And that's the reason why a mentor, uh, a financial advisor, someone that actually gets involved personally with you and your finances will make a huge difference. And I think that that has probably been the most important thing for me because, uh, you know, I, you hold me accountable. You know, you know, somebody said to me the other day, you know, I'm, I'm afraid of you, Greg, but not because not in the traditional sense of being afraid. I'm, I'm afraid of disappointing you. Somebody said that to me at work. Oh, OK. And uh, I have this, the same issue with you. Like, I'm so afraid of letting you down. Well, it's funny to hear you say that because I don't hold you accountable no. to anyone <laughs> other than yourself. But that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I think that many of us are so reluctant to say, I don't know, or to say, I need help. And, you know, you may do an amazing job in the marketplace. You may do an amazing job with your career. You are crushing it. You have been on the zone for 20, 25 years. You're putting money aside. You think the money's working for you. And then it's not. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you, you think that, putting money in the bank is going to be enough and it isn't 
I know this through personal experience. And there is where, uh, you know, Mike comes into place. You know, and last week we touched on something very interesting because this affects most Canadian. It's a Canadian thing. Yeah. Real estate. Right. For many people, the money they have made on real estate is the only money they have or a large portion of what they have or a, a significant amount. For sure. And uh, we were talking about, you know, unleashing the power of that equity, using it to generate more wealth for you in, in, in a way that makes sense, in a way that will protect you for the future, in a way that could generate more money down the line. So, you know, to, to liberate real estate equity yeah and uh, you know i i want you to take me a little bit more through this because i can tell you folks there are many of you that are listening to this and uh, you are sitting on a gold mine you are right now probably in your house in the garage listening to the carrasco show here and there is a gold mine available to you and you don't even know what's happening you know talk to me about this well you know as you said we brought it up last week and and we touched on a number of points and and i got three calls in this last week from existing clients and and from one person new who wanted more information on this they felt that topic was specifically addressing questions that they had what do i do how do i unlock some of the equity in my home because i you know for a lot of people they say to me my life's ambition has nothing to do with leaving as much money to my kids as possible <laughs> <laughs> yep sorry sorry to shot across the bow to those kids waiting in the wings uh your parents that may not necessarily have that as as their main goal they you know they've done a good job as you said out in the world crushing it in their in their business or in their career and they've built up some wealth and that wealth is intended to benefit them themselves mm -hmm. and so we brought up that topic and and so the people called up and said you know I, I need some options I need some more options how can I do this for me so I'll, I'll go through it quickly again and and maybe expand on a couple of the points that we you didn't don't have get to do it depth. that quickly and, and I can tell you this I mean this long format conversation is very useful uh, it's not something that happens very often on Canadian radio you normally have to go to a podcast which is available to you now so if, if for whatever reason you want to hear something again or you you want to just learn a point that is being put forward here you know, for you to listen to, you just subscribe to the podcast on Apple iTunes or um, uh, just wait, go to tsn.ca and the podcast is available there as well. But, uh, you know, let's not do it quick. Let's just okay. dissect. Let's get into the meat of this. You know, get me started. So I identified essentially four different ways that you can access the equity in your home, in your mm -hmm. principal residence. The first one we talked about was downsizing the act of moving from a large home to a smaller home. So let me expand on that. Yeah. There's a great number of people who think that naturally that's what they're going to do in retirement. My experience has shown me that not as many people do it as you think. Uh, to, to be able to live in the same area as you are with where all your community connections lie and move to a smaller home, a lot of people feel like they're giving up on standard of living and lifestyle that they don't want to do. And in fact, probably what happens more often than not is that they sell a larger home for a smaller home that has more amenities. Mm -hmm. I'm in a, I'm in a gated community. I'm in a home where someone's taking care of the landscaping and the outdoor work condo type homes. Uh, and it ends up being more of a lateral move from a price perspective. They, they look at it and say, well, I've just moved from a four-bedroom house to this two-bedroom condo. I'm like, yeah, but you're back onto a golf course. 
you don't have to take care of your property when mm-hmm. it's time for for the roof to do it the condo corporation takes care of that so you've moved into a smaller home but it cost you just as much money and so you know if if downsizing your home is something that's built into your financial plan to be able to take equity out you have to be very mindful of that will it actually result in you putting money in your pocket uh, so one of the things that we talked about again was moving from a more expensive region to live in to a less expensive region can can i hold you there for one yeah. second you know i was i was having this discussion with uh with one of my bosses um um, a couple of days ago, okay. and uh, this whole notion of living in a large house yeah. is mostly, mostly a North American thing. Uh, for any one of you folks that has ever traveled travel significantly anywhere, you will know that the houses here in the U.S. and Canada are mansions anywhere else on the planet and uh, uh my boss's son lives in japan right now <laughs> oh, okay um in in japan uh, your house is literally a living space that is it right you know normally you stack it the first floor is your living room dining room kitchen and the second floor is where you go to sleep and that is it life is not defined by the size of the house in which you live and now having having come to canada from from Chile, I can tell you that our family home, um, at one point there were probably 20 people living there. And it was only as big as the main floor of my house. And I don't have a big house. So, you know, do you think that people are setting themselves up to not be financially independent because of what they think their standards are? People can always live with less. They can. And, and, and it, I think a lot of people who have made that adjustment to living with less have felt a burden lifted off them. Mm-hmm. Uh, how hard you need to work in order to own that large house and to service it, it takes a lot of time and, and money mm-hmm. to do so. And when they've downsized, they've kind of oh, I wish I had done this sooner. Um, but, you know, there's... A lot of family values. There's the being able to bring the the kids and the grandkids to come to your home and to have the big holiday dinner. I mean, there's so much of that tied up into it. And I think we've become less of an outdoor society as well. You know, so when my parents were buying a house, it was small, 1,100 square feet, and that yeah. was big enough for our family of four because we didn't spend all day indoors. So perhaps some element of these houses staying large is because people are going outside less and they're doing more living indoors and, and need more spaces to do that in. Well, what I, what I can tell you folks, and this is you know strictly through personal experience, uh, my son is moving out in a few weeks right now and it's just gonna be me in the house, me and Marcus. Marcus the Beast. Beware of, yeah, be, beware of the dog. He will rip your arm off. He is vicious. Don't be fooled by his size. <laughs> I think he's scratching three pounds now. Nice. Um, but uh, the, the thought of liberating some of that equity that I have on this house and then going into a smaller place to reduce my fixed operational, if you will, my yeah. fixed operational cost is very very appealing to me sure and uh you know imagine the, the, the number of people that are walking around there with a you know seven eight ten thousand a mortgage <laughs> a month 
Yeah. That's insane. Now, I'm not saying that it's, that's most of the population. I mean, most people are paying anywhere between twenty five and you know twenty five hundred and five thousand dollars for the mortgage. Um, but imagine you cut that down to you know fifteen hundred, two thousand dollars. Imagine the disposable income that now you have available towards your investments. And never mind the equity that you have freed up in yeah. the process. So now, when you downsize that house and you move to a less expensive region. Uh, you are assuming that there is a chunk of change that just came out. Well, and this is where people have to be careful because I have met many people who uh -huh. that taking a big chunk of change out is very much a part of their retirement plan. You know, living in a larger home and, you know, it, it's become quite routine for me to meet some of my peers saying, I'm looking at this million and a half dollar house. So this one's 2.2 million. I'm going to have to mortgage a little more to get that one. It, it is how you are going to, if you're taking that step to buy that expensive home, you will be driving your finances to support it. And to some extent, your net worth building may be focused on that one asset. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily anything wrong with it. But if your focus is entirely on the house, at some point you need to retire and be able to spend money. And if you don't have a company pension that's going to support you and all of your equity or all your, your net worth is built up in that house, you're going to have to unlock it. So maybe you're just going to live in an expensive home for a little while, for a period of your life and enjoy that lifestyle knowing when I get to retirement, we're going to be pulling back. And that's fine, but it may be necessary. But let's say that um, let's say that you, you, you move into a smaller home. Yep. And uh, you end up with, I know that this is it's inconceivable for a lot of people. And what I'm suggesting to you, you know, one of the reasons why this gets me so excited, folks, is because I have spent an, an entire career convincing folks that cars are the biggest waste of money that you could ever possibly have, that you can always drive a smaller car, a less expensive car. And, and, and you need to take that at face value. You, I make my living by you buying cars. And I can tell you this, that the, the number one objection that I have when I tell people this, I, it, do you need that much car? Uh, but of course I do. Why? Um, I don't know. So when you are spending tens of thousands of dollars for something that you cannot even verbalize, it's, it's something that needs to be addressed. And, it, and it's more of an emotional approach to buying a car. Now, when it comes to houses, this appeals to me because I, I think that anybody and everyone can live in a smaller area. I don't think it's that necessary. But, you know, we, we, we stress ourselves out on a financial way to support a lifestyle that may not be conducive or sustainable in the future. Yeah. So what we are suggesting here is that if, if, if wealth is really what you seek, maybe stressing yourself out on a monthly basis on expenses that may, may or may not be necessary may not be the way to go. So what we are, I, I believe that this is what we're proposing here, to put yourself in a position in which, you see, for me, wealth is choice. I want to have the choice of doing whatever I want, whenever I want it, however I want it. But when you are stressing yourself out in, in expenses, that is not possible. And many of you folks are sitting on, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars on a house that you are barely in or you only go in there to sleep. 
Yeah. Would you agree with that? Well, that and I think that's one of the reasons why people make the decision at some point to downsize is they realize, you know what? It is just my wife and I, and we're in a four-bedroom house. Um, maybe I need an exercise room. I absolutely need a room to display <laughs> my comics. But at what point do I have too many extra rooms? And maybe we need to uh, need to be right-sizing our house. Folks, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Greg Carrasco Show, Canada's largest automotive show with my friend Ken Stapon and Money Mike is in the house right now. He is my personal money wizard. If you, if you have at some point in the future the idea of becoming wealthy, but wealthy in the philosophical sense, your ability to make choices with your life and you have enough money to make those choices this is probably this show that you should be listening to right now if you want to reach money mike directly after the show you can call him at 905-320-6762 or you can send him an email at moneymike.ca we are going to continue to dissect how to extract wealth from your home stay tuned we're going to be right back oh boy <laughs> this song always cracks me out <laughs> Let it, let it go. Let it play. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> We're trying to get there. I think that uh, there's not a single person that wouldn't want to have a little bit, a few more pennies in, you know, in an investment account. But uh, uh, you are listening to The Greg Carrasco Show, Canada's largest automotive radio show with Ken Stapen here on TSN 1050. And um, over the last few months, almost weekly here, um, Money Mike, he is my personal behavioral financial advisor. Uh, he is the one that manages my money. He comes in here on Saturdays to talk to us about what to do to, you know, to, you know, expedite, to facilitate, to work on those things that we are so reluctant to talk about. And, uh, you know, and I speak from personal experience. It's sometimes it's saying I don't know and I need help of some of the most difficult things that we all have to face, um, especially when it comes to uh, our monies. I cringe when I, people always said to me, I'm, I, yeah, I'm, I'm in the stock market. I'm investing. What? What do you know? You know, the, this accessibility that, that the investment world now has, that everybody thinks they can do it by themselves, um, there's a big price to pay for that. You know, how is that affecting you? And I, we're going to go back to the regular topic, but... Yeah. You know what? I, somebody said to me once... You know, when's the last time you did something for the first time and you did it perfectly? Well. <laughs> you know, riding a bike, driving a car, dating. Not many people who are married to the first person they ever went on a date with. Or, or getting married for the first time. And, uh, you know, we, we, many of us have a started wedding. Third rail. Third third rail, Greg. Don't touch the third rail. It's a, it's a starter, starter marriage. We all messed that one up. So... You know, this is this is an area I think people can use some guidance. And, and, you know, if I ride a bike for the first time and I do it poorly, chances are it's not going to have a long-lasting effect on my life. Uh, there are people who have come before you in the financial world who've, who've done it. And mm -hmm. I think there is a wisdom to be gained from the experience that they have to share. So, um, 
that's the idea be behind me being a financial advisor is to be able to bring to people the the wisdom and experience of, of dealing with hundreds of clients over decades and helping you to see the potential outcomes of the decisions that you have before you. And because we live in this amazing country, despite what some people say, um, there is a lot of opportunity here and a lot of that opportunity comes in the shape of a box, your home. Mm -hmm. um, and I want to talk just just a couple more minutes from the yeah. house and um, you know how to unleash some of that um, some of that wealth that you have tied up in there. But uh, um, after that, I, I want you to explore a little bit into this you know, it's a bit of a Canadian thing. Let's just call it a Canadian thing. Okay? Okay. I think it's politically correct. North American, uh, but North, okay. North American thing. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we're in Canada, so like Canadian thing. Cottages. Yeah. Yeah, we can talk uh, about that too. So if, if you, uh, if there is a family cottage uh, that uh, that you have access to or that your parents that are, you know, aging now and it's becoming more and more of a, of a burden than anything, um, we're going to give you a few ideas as to what to do with that. But uh, before we move into this, uh, you had something that you wanted to explain to me when it comes to your house and your mortgage. Yeah, so the, the final couple of ways we can access, so we've gone through downsize, we've gone through move to a less expensive region. Um, the third way that people are unlocking equity, and one of your callers last week identified it, uh, is to borrow against it, whether that be a reverse mortgage mm -hmm. or a line of credit. You can borrow against your house so that you can stay there longer if you need some money. Mm -hmm. It's it's a bit of a slippery slope. Uh, you know, we talked last week about some of the circumstances that reverse mortgages can make sense. Uh, a line of credit, likewise, is a, an easy way to access some money in your house. Uh, the downside of that version, of course, is that the more you borrow, the more you have to pay every month to service that debt. Mm -hmm. So if you're someone who needs more cash flow, line of credit isn't necessarily the best way to get it because that can snowball and, and put you in a situation where you have neither the cash flow nor the equity in your home. Uh, on, a, on a completely side note, folks, I, and I learned this at, uh, in university, they were talking about how this whole concept of a line of credit is just a marketing scheme back in the... 50s, 60s, and 70s, a line of credit was simply called a second mortgage, yep. and uh, it, you know, it was a, um, it was a, it was a sign of a, of tough times when you needed to put a second mortgage in your house and nobody wanted to do it because uh, now it was it was humiliating, it was embarrassing. And then a marketing company came around and said, "Wait a second, why don't we just change the name to this thing? Let's call it a line of credit. Okay. Let's make it part of an exclusive." club that uh, you know you, you you need to have wealth in order for you to access this remember that you're richer than you think <laughs> and uh, next thing we know uh, there is almost 95 percent uptake on line of credits from people that have homes so most people are walking around with a second mortgage and they don't even know yeah. that was i digress aggressively yes. <laughs> well and and that's a, a real problem there have been many people who've approached me over the years and say i'm mortgage-free Except for this two hundred and fifty thousand dollar line of credit that we've maxed out, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, no first mortgage, but the second mortgage is is topped up. The second so, one doesn't count. Uh, although I am a fan of lines of credit uh, as a a borrowing instrument for those people who show the financial maturity to manage them, <clears throat> and if if you are such a person and you're going to be able to use a line of credit for things like buying cars cheaply, etc. Get that line of credit in place before you retire. 
That's don't, what I'm going to tell you. Don't start giving my listeners the wrong ideas on line of credit. You know how I feel about buying a car on line of credit. I know. That's why I threw in the caveat of someone who is financially mature enough to handle it properly. And my beef with line of credit is to buy a car is that we call them the never ever plan. Most people only pay the interest. They never pay the principal. And that's the problem. And that's where the financial maturity comes into. Yes, it. but you know, everybody assumes that they are financially mature. Because yeah. no one has the you know the the introspective strength to say you know uh, I'm not, I am terrible, I, I I can't pay my bills, I am irresponsible. Whenever there is the opportunity of saving or spending, I always spend it. And if you are that person, stay away from the line of credit. Yeah, that, please. Yeah, please. You, sh- you should absolutely definitely. So okay, so then the, what's the last way? The last way to unlock that equity, obviously, is to sell the house altogether and rent. And well, that's a possibility. I, I suggest moving into with your kids. I mean, they uh, <laughs> you spent a lot of years supporting them. They owe you. Uh, no, 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 no. Selling the house and putting that money in your pocket, especially in a real estate market that's this high, can be a, a very positive thing. But you need to make sure you've developed your plan because, as you said, you're now going to have to rent. There is no place cheaper. If we're talking two identical homes, there is no place cheaper to live than the home that you own outright rather than the home that you rent. However, if we need to unlock that equity because we've put the the preponderance of our net worth in the home and now we need to retire or we are retired and need more money, maybe selling the house is going to be the only way to do it. So it's it's very... It, it is an idea that can work, but we have to make sure that by doing so, you're going to be able to afford the lifestyle that you want, that you're going to run out of retirement before you run out of money, because that tends to be one step that you take that you can't take back. Once you've sold the house in retirement, let enough years go by, you're not going back into home ownership. You're done with that. So we have to make sure that we have a plan that says executing this idea is going to work out for you. That's scary, but fascinating at the same time. Yeah. You know, you get in, into your mid-60s or 70s, and then you sell. And then you you start renting after that. Is that yeah. what you're suggesting? Yeah. yeah. Oh, boy. Now, <laughs> this is that's terrifying to me because the, I always, you know, you, I think that everybody dreams with the idea of living in a house that is mortgage-free. And that's, for a lot of people, is the biggest fin- life financial accomplishment. So to sell it and to go into renting sounds counterintuitive. What do you say that to those people that feel that way? Well, again, I think a lot of it, again, I'm a, I'm a money guy. I'm, I'm a math guy. So a lot of the counterintuitive nature of that comes from the emotional side. And fear, yeah. It comes from fear. It comes from lifestyle expectations. It comes from family expectations. The, a lot of those ideals are tied up in the image of the home. Mm-hmm. So when, you know, the, the thing I always tell my clients is I can only tell you the money side of the equation. I can't make emotional decisions for you. And truthfully, a lot of financial decisions you make, when to retire, where to live, emotions are tied up in that. So the emotional decision oftentimes wins out over the financial decision. The heart wins over the, the brain. Um, so my job is to bring you the brain side of it. You have to bring your own heart side to the equation. I want you to talk about, and uh, we're going to do this on the other side of the break, 
because I want to I want to dissect this a little longer. I I want you to talk about the family cottage. Yes. You know, and as it pertains to Canadians, and there are many people that live here in southern Ontario, that uh, there is a family cottage, and uh, at some point, uh, the the folks that own these cottages are thinking about. Uh, state planning, how to leave it to the next generation, and, and, and so on, and how to avoid uh, getting you know, taken to the cleaners by uh, the taxman. And um, I, I think it's important that you give some perspective on this, because again, that is another way to unleashing some wealth that could help you, help you and your kids in the future uh, to have a, a more secure um, view on retirement so folks let's take a small break this is the greg carrasco show canada's largest automotive radio show money mike is in the house you can reach money mike at 905-320-6762 or you can send them an email at moneymike.ca let's take a small break and we'll be right back i don't i don't know how i feel about all this uh money song choices man you go from abba to some trans rap to this terrible pop song What's happening here? You know, I can't convert uh, Mike to any one of the songs today, man. You know. No. <laughs> I need a good rock band money song. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, maybe we'll get some Dire Straits cooking. Uh, we had the ACDC money, money, money talks cooking. But, uh, yeah, we can, we can make that happen coming out of this segment. Just messing with you. I love the song choices, man. We got to do that. <laughs> um, you know, we uh, somehow, whenever we get, you know, talking about things, the hours go by pretty quickly. But, uh, you know, I really want, you know, to start at least to start a conversation on how to pass the, the family cottage down along to the kids in a way that makes sense, man. Because, um, you know, some people are just not cut out for cottages. No, and it and it's a, a growing concern for the aging baby boom generation. Mm-hmm. A lot of them, of whom are cottage owners, and and they come to us with that question: How do we do it? So, when you're tackling the question about the cottage, and actually, I don't know, you wouldn't remember Steve from Oakville call on our our last station. Yeah, that was yeah. he said, I I want you to do a show dedicated to us high net worth people because I want to talk about how, what do I do with the cottage and how do I pass it on. Yeah. And some of it is a financial conversation, again, and some of it is a goals-based emotional conversation. Mm -hmm. And the reality is cottage owners, especially if you've owned the cottage 20, 30 years, they love their cottage. It is part of their Their identity. Their makeup, yeah, their identity, for sure. And they want that for their kids. Now, do the kids want that for themselves? It's a different story. And, And they're recognizing that now. Uh, there are some families that the cottage is part of the family lore and it's always going to be in the family. And then there's some families that are like, yeah, you know what? We like mom and dad's cottage, but it's not for us. Mm-hmm. We, we do it for them. So when it comes time, how do I leave it to the next generation? Just like a business, you have to ask, first of all, does the next generation want that cottage? And if you're talking about, I want to leave it to all my kids, you've got two three four kids oh the conflict i oh. i have i've experienced that and i can tell you it's not fun yeah. whenever there are more than one kids involved in, in the equation and you know kids the in-laws and uh, you know daughter-in-law son-in-law and uh, the the conflict that happens when you need to share the family cottage you know who goes there when yeah that is is is, is, is a nightmare and i can tell you this um if if you want to create problems between your kids have undefined rules as to what's going to happen with the family assets once you're gone. 
You don't want that. No, and, and that's actually you know, the, the main concern. I mean, it's almost like you're having a fantasy football draft every mm-hmm. cottage season. Okay, which weekends do you get? Which weeks do I get? And, of course, the other side of, like I said, it literally is like a partnership in a business because it's not just about when do we get to use it, but who's going to maintain it? How are we going to split the expense of it? What happens if some of the siblings can afford their share and some can't? And so, okay, I can't afford my share of the cottage, but I'm the handy one. So I'll be responsible for doing the work to keep up the cottage. That's going to be my financial contribution to it. So there's all of those details that need to be worked out. It is not as simple as I'm going to leave the the cottage to my son and daughter and life will will go on grand. So you need to have a, a very serious conversation about whether or not that is an objective for the kids as much as it is for you. And how are we going to define this relationship, this partnership, because we don't want too many cooks in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. Uh, there has to be some decision makers and, and there's some financial reality of that cottage. So if you are able to strike an agreement, great. If not, you know, perhaps the cottage should just be sold or the one that can maintain it should buy out the other. And then you still run the potential of, of upsetting the other children. So it, it can be a very contentious subject. So let's, for for the purpose of this conversation, and, and hopefully we can shed some light into this before the end of the show, but let's say that you do decide to sell it. Okay. There's got to be some tax implications with all of this. There is. And of course, the real estate market <clears throat> run up has not been oblivious to the cottage world. Mm-hmm. Uh, cottages have run up just as much. Again, COVID has, has had an even large impact on cottage values. I, my understanding is Muskoka is having one of the largest run up in prices they've ever seen this year mm-hmm. because people are saying, I'm stuck inside. And I, I need to be able to get out and and not just I want to move out of condos into individual homes, but we want to be able to get away from the city. And, you know, cottage sales have, have skyrocketed. So the people who've owned cottages for the last 20 or 30 years, the prices have really, really gone up, gone up which means huge tax implications. So, I mean, the nice thing is if you're going to sell a cottage, you have the money to pay the tax, but you have to be aware that there's going to be a tax hit. What, so, is, what is the tax hit? So as an example, I bought my cottage, and I'm literally seeing numbers like this. We bought the cottage for $100,000. Today it's worth $800,000. Mm-hmm. That's a $700,000 capital gain. Half of that is taxable. What? So $350,000 is taxable, just like you had gone out and earned $350,000 in a job. Gets added to your income tax. So if you choose to sell the cottage... Uh-huh then we have to be aware of the tax implications to do so. And that's actually the conversation some of the people have had with me to say, you know what, we really only spend a couple weeks a year with the kids at the cottage. We enjoy it, but it's getting too much for us to handle. The kids only come up when we invite them. Maybe we can sell the cottage and rent a cottage for a couple of weeks every year. You know, wouldn't it be great to sell the $800,000 cottage, put most of that in our pocket, and even if it costs us three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000 to rent a place, but do that once a year and we get our cottage fix. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the time we get to enjoy traveling to other places because the kids don't want the cottage. Um, so, you know, selling the cottage is a real possibility. But tax planning is, you know, th- this is one of the questions that someone will come to me. We are going to leave the cottage to the kids or we want to sell it to them now so that future appreciation is to their benefit. We don't need any more. Mm-hmm. We're trying to minimize the tax today. How do we do it? 
So, you know, there are a couple of, of structures uh, other than just outright paying the tax. Because understand, if I take my cottage and give it to you, my son, mm-hmm. the capital gains tax that are owing become owed now. When I transfer, are you serious? When I so, transfer the value. So if there is a million dollar capital gain and I gift that cottage to my daughter or my son, yep, those taxes become due today. Correct. And they need to go against the value of that cottage. Well, they don't go against the value of the cottage. Million dollar cottage, and there's a six hundred thousand, seven hundred thousand dollar capital gain. Mm-hmm. My tax bill on that's going to be probably about one hundred and seventy five thousand dollars. The government says I'd like my one hundred and seventy five thousand now. Now. Give it to whoever you want, uh, especially if it's a family member. We want our taxes. So they say, well, now I've got to, I'm, I'm losing the asset, but I've got to come up with 175 grand. The kids don't have that money. So, you know, it's a real challenge. And so one of the ways that people have, have been able to um, affect the taxes, you can structure the deal over several years. Mm-hmm. The kids are going to buy the cottage notice the sarcastic air quotes they're going to buy the cottage off me over the next five years so that seven hundred thousand dollar capital gain i'll pay 20 percent per year for the next five years so i can stretch the costs out over a period of time but the cost will be owed you know this is a very very interesting topic of conversation because i can tell you that there are many people that have cottages up in the muskokas that are not hundreds of thousands of dollars they're millions of dollars yeah and by you leaving this to your kids um, the taxes are due today if your kids are in no position to pay for those taxes now they're going to have to sell the asset at that point they're going to have to they're essentially going to lose 50 percent of the appreciation of that asset over however many years you may have had it am i incorrect with 25 percent 50 percent of it's taxable yeah top tax bracket would be half of that. So yeah, you could lose 25% of the value. But the biggest effect is I have this huge asset. I want to keep it in the family. But if I don't plan for the taxes, the kids don't have the money to pay the tax bill. They will have no choice but to sell it. And that's what we're trying to avoid. They want to keep the cottage. Folks, if you if you are in that position and you need some tax guidance, you may want to write this number down. Or if your parents are in this position and uh, you know that this is a conversation that can be had, that is being had, or that will be had at one point or another, the number is 905-320-6762. That is Mike's direct line, and you can send him an email at moneymike.ca. But um, I I really want you to, the next time you come on the show, Mike, uh, I want you to dedicate an hour to high net worth people okay um with all things that apply to them in 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 our current economic situation um whether it's got to do with tax planning whether it's got to do with inheritances what it's got to do with um you know family properties that are going to be disposed of just in case um i want to talk about ways to help these folks because many of them have become high net worth simply because of hard work and savings and there isn't a lot of financial education uh, from a protection standpoint i mean a lot of the stuff that you do is educational Uh, but i do believe that it's important that we address those folks out there because many you know you this is canada folks there's a lot of people walking around here that are very very wealthy people that don't know anything about finances that's a terrifying thought what do you think it's it's a value to everyone there's there's a lot of very affluent people 
uh, all levels of financial degree. So some very smart and accomplished people who are, who are smart and accomplished at what they did for a living, and this side of the equation is unknown to them. This is the Greg Carrasco Show, folks, Canada's largest automotive radio show, and that was Money Mike sharing his wisdom. You are awesome. Again, thank you so much for being on the show, Mike, and uh, I look forward to talking to you again in the very near future. Thanks for having me, Greg. Good weekend to you. Let's take a small break, folks, and we're going to be right back with some more topics for you to dissect with me here on the radio. You know how surreal it is, Ken, to have a, a great Carrasco rap? <laughs> uh, never in my wildest dreams I would have guessed that there would be a Greg Carrasco rap. We got to get something fired up for Money Mike segment here in uh, hour two. Uh, ben and I were working our magic back here in the back, so I think next week we might have to preview a new introduction for Money Mike segment. Uh, we'll, we'll see, though. Don't want to give too much away. You know, I, I asked Money Mike to stay behind because, you know, I wish that we could have some of the conversations that take place in the background on air, but uh, that wouldn't be without some serious social repercussions. You, know, you know what I'm saying? None. You know, I, I, the reason why I wanted to stay behind is because I wanted to, uh, <laughs> I wanted to elaborate on a point that he made earlier, you know, of uh, parents moving into their kid's house. You know, when they're old, <laughs> you know, kids don't want to move out of their parents' house. They stay there until they're 50 <laughs> and then pay back. You know what? There obviously there is historical precedence to this, right? That used to be society in North America growing up on the family farm well, and kids would stay there and run the farm. And then when parents no longer could physically do it. They stayed and the kids took over. I'll break some news to you. That's the same way everywhere in the world, is, except yep. here in Canada and the United States. Yeah. In uh, in most countries um, that are not from you know that are not from the northern side of America, northern side of America, uh, when people get old, they are taken in by their kids. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Canadian kids don't want to do that. <laughs> well, they've been they've been trained not to have that expectation. <laughs> they don't want to do that. You know, let's just shove them into a senior's home, a retirement home. You know, we need to find you a home. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, let's let's be honest. That that isn't in the seniors' plans either. If their kids stuck around in the house until they were twenty five or thirty and finally got out, they don't want to move back in with their kids. Why not? Because they don't sit on a porch on a rocking chair anymore. They have lifestyles. They are active, and living with their kids would cramp that style. Have you heard? Have you heard that some of the, you know, I don't know if I want to touch on this skin, but uh, apparently there is a crazy uh, outbreak of VDs and senior homes across the country. Damn! I don't know if... Damn it! Damn it! I can't unhear that. <laughs> you know, it, it makes me happy. It makes me happy that there is still something going on. Go for in, it. In seniors' homes, man. If, you know, if that's what you have when you're in your 80s, good on you. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> I, I, I guess I'm going to have to start sleeping more now. No, no, I, I, it's great. I think that's the norm. Not the VD thing. <laughs> I think it's normal now that generations, as we're getting older, they are a lot more active, and they they are not the vision of what you had of of what you thought being a grandparent or or a very senior member of society or anything. No, it's, it's, it certainly has changed. I mean, I I, I try to think back. 
with my family back in you know in the 70s and 80s and they were not that much older than me at the time but i mean they were certainly in their 30s and early 40s okay. and i don't have any memories of anyone in my family ever running yeah like they just didn't the moment they hit 30 or 35 boom they were wearing suits all the time they never run again. They never went outside and played a sport. It's not something that is done in other places. I mean, you either you need to be wealthy to do it, or um, it's it's not something that happens. But you know, I'm 48 now. I'm a month and a little bit from turning 49, and uh, I can say that I am more active today than I was when I was in my 20s. I I think that you know our our society. Is, Folks, don't don't be convinced by people telling you that this is all doom and gloom. It's not. Our society is so amazing. Yeah. You know, every night when I take my beast out for a walk, I go down to this little park here that is on. In, 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 there's a great golf community here on Dundas and Trafalgar. Then just a couple of blocks down, uh, there is this massive park that has tennis courts and I don't know what the name of the other sport is but it's like tennis but it's little you know with you know it doesn't have rackets it's more like ping pong but there's a net okay. I don't know what it's called um, but uh, I see seniors there every night just running around hitting the ball and and, and being themselves I, I is that level of you know civilization that level of freedom and independence and autonomy that our seniors have here in Canada is something that cannot be overlooked we're very lucky we're very lucky it's a great trend to see going I mean I told you six weeks ago I pulled my groin playing tennis against a 69 year old who was making me run all over the court um, I, I had an experience early on in my career this one still inspires me to this day 85 year old woman yeah First time I met her, I, I inherited her. Mm -hmm. So I'm sitting in her kitchen. She's walking all around, getting tea ready, just back and forth. I, and I'm like, and she she actually volunteered at what she called an old folks home. Mm -hmm. She volunteered there to help out people who were younger than her, uh, who had mobility issues, who weren't getting. I was like, how do you do it at 85? That you're still this active and, and energetic. And she said, you know, I um. I took up swimming and I swim. What did she say? She swam. I swim a mile and a half every morning. What? And I'm like, well, that's that's amazing. That makes sense to I me. I do a good swimmer. That you're. I can swim just fine. I can't. Not not. I, I mean, she. I'm sure she was swimming better. And I said, well, that makes sense. That at 85 you're still this active and and because you've been swimming. And I said, oh no, no no, I just took up swimming two years ago. I just learned to swim two years ago. You know, this is something that I, I posted on Instagram a little while ago, Ken. Uh, you know, all, people always talk about the um, the best under 40, best under 40, best under 40. I am sick of listening to people that are doing the best under 40. You know, show me an 80-year-old that can swim a mile and a half or a 65-year-old that just decided to take a law degree and just crushed it, you know, yeah. and uh, you, you, got your, you became a lawyer at 65. And then I see you a life well lived. And I, I don't... You know, when I get to my, if I don't know how long I'm going to live, but you know, I don't want to be longer than you think. Uh, that's the scary part, man. I'm already tired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I tired. <laughs> I don't want to people anymore. I, I don't, I don't want noise. You know, Mike and I were discussing, what, what do you live, Ken? Do you live in Toronto? I do. I live downtown in the East End. Uh, 
So uh, <laughs> that's how I What's feel. What's the matter? You don't like the Yinos? <laughs> no, I, I can tell you that I don't know if I despise anything more than noise. And uh, whenever I go downtown, uh, I just find that everything that's wrong with our society is going on right there. And I, I, I don't know. I can't do it. I hate noise, man. Uh, you know, I get trouble when there are too many people in the kitchen. <laughs> well, to be fair, yeah. I live in a more residential neighborhood, so it's a little bit quieter. You still get a little bit of the traffic because I am on uh, Pape Avenue. But as far as the downtown sort of sounds, like aside from the occasional siren, it actually is a very quiet place to live. Uh, well, every time I walk down uh, Spadina in King, it's just complete and utter debauchery. Yeah, King Street, <laughs> King Street West for sure. Is a yeah. complete disaster. I completely avoid that area of the city, like by all costs, especially on Friday, Saturday nights. I'll be a little bit quieter these days, but yeah, I have no business going down there. I have no interest in going down there. Certain neighborhoods are like that, but it just happens that my neighborhood in particular is a, is much quieter. So you know that um, I, I I don't know if I could do that. And you know, you were saying that you were thinking at some point to move down to Toronto when you first retired and have a condo there. Yeah, that was uh, mine and Andrea's idea for the first year of retirement. We thought, wouldn't it be great live downtown, go to all the restaurants, to the theater, check out all the Jays games, live in one of those condos right around the Rogers Center. We thought, uh, I don't know, as we get older, we're, we're shying away from that a little bit more, but I still think it would be fun. You know, I have a couple of acquaintances that uh, they have urban cottages. They yeah. they live in the suburbs and uh, they have a little tiny, uh, either a bachelor pad or, or a one-bedroom condo downtown Toronto. And, you know, they go there for the weekends and they just hang out, go to the place, back when you were allowed by the government to do such a thing. <laughs> and um, now, I mean, now they're empty. I mean, yeah. it's, it's got to be a big problem down there. Well, that's the, yeah, that's the unfortunate result of this current environment, right? There's probably people who've done exactly that, and mm -hmm. now they're ready to enjoy it themselves. And, oh, there is no theater district right now. You know, in a previous life, you know, we were talking about cottages earlier. In a previous life, I was married to someone that had, uh, the family had, uh, it was a beautiful cottage. And, um, you know, it was one of the very few places that I could go and sleep for like two days straight. You know, the the wind, the air, it was just such a liberating experience. But yeah. I don't know if I have it in me to ever do maintenance. I, I'm I'm the least handy person that you could ever meet. I am useless. <laughs> you know, growing up without parents has its other effects that are, you know, <laughs> that you would never imagine that, you know, uh, <laughs> tools, you know, where is that? Yeah. I, I don't know the most basic things. It's just bizarre. We had a relative once. We walked in on him in his garage, and he was cutting drywall with a saw. And we just... You cut it... What did you cut it with? You cut it with a knife, with, with just a utility knife. We're just, <laughs> we're, we're just watching it going on, going, yep, that's someone who was never taught. And, and yeah, you do. I mean, that, that stuff gets passed down. But, uh, you know, I don't know if for that very reason, I mean, my, you know, my ex-father-in-law, who I have a, a tremendous amount of respect for Mr. Brown. He's a rock star. I, you know, always very nice. Um, and we've remained friends even through the transition. So I call him from time to time to see what's up. But I mean, this guy would go out there and just he'd be lost in the, you know, in the boathouse or in the garage up there just doing his little projects. And that mm -hmm. how he kept himself occupied. Uh, I couldn't think of anything more stressful than just doing chores around the cottage. So for me, it's far more appealing to get a place down in Florida, believe it or not. But a it, condo. You know what? It's not all about the work, though. 
So he's in the boathouse working on the projects. It's his me time. That's his mental getaway. Getting away from his wife. So Uh, it never uh, ends, folks. (laughs) You know, it will continue. So, (laughs) you know, speaking of wife, your wife just uh, sent a name for that sport. It's called pickleball. Apparently it's called pickleball. I never heard of that before. Pickleball. I've heard the expression. I've never seen it played. But, yeah, I guess uh, on a shorter court and shorter rackets. or something. Yeah, it's it's fascinating how many seniors are there playing every night. But, uh, you know, I, I feel far more inclined to buy my a place in Florida than I am to ever buy something you know up in uh, cottage country and it's not because I don't think it's absolutely gorgeous because you know all you need to do is just drive up the you know Huntsville area or just literally the Muskokas and it's, it's beautiful to be there it is. but it's just a lot of work it can be a lot of work but there are you know the scientifically documented positive health effects by living near water and that's something that Ontario has is a lot of water. So I have water in the head. You know, at <laughs> one point I will you know, there will be water in my future at some point. Yeah. I need to be near the water. And uh but uh not so much from a lake standpoint. I like the ocean. I, oh, like, okay. I like the sea. And uh, mm. uh you know, I come from Chile and Chile, if you are familiar with you know, geography, is just one long beach. That's all Chile is. And uh you know, it's, it's something that we were very exposed to. But, it, you know, we don't... I'm a big fan of seafood and okay. shellfish. And you have... What you eat here is not real seafood and shellfish. Would you agree with that, Ken? Yeah, well, it's hard to compare, right? Like, even in the downtown GTA, where you would get probably the freshest in Ontario, it's mm-hmm. still not going to compete from those sea, sea coast communities where you can just get it fresh off the boat. Like I lived in uh, Ocean City, Maryland, for a short period of time and it was the best seafood I've ever had in my life just fresh crabs right off the boat and right into the restaurant and you eat them right there all you can eat absolutely amazing yeah I am um, if you if you ever want to try real seafood you need to go to a coast area you need for to do sure. it yeah it comes straight out of the ocean it tastes differently everything is uh you know it's tastier you, you know you you can't even go out after that you need to go to sleep it's so it's so rich but, yeah. uh, you know, I, I'm seriously considering buying a place in Naples. I, I love okay. Naples, Florida. I've been there um, a bunch of times, and um, I have some friends that invited me there once just, you know, to come and hang out for a weekend. And um, it was one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen. Um, so we'll see what happens. But, you know, I wanted you to stay here to comment on these things because often, you know, we talk about finances and, yeah, you have my money and you manage my money and stuff. But, we, you know, there are far more interesting conversations yep. that uh, are being had outside of that. Well, you go and get yourself a place in Florida. I promise I'll visit <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Folks, let's take a small break. Let's not forget, this is Canada's largest automotive radio show. Uh, we're going to leave the phones open for you. So if you have any questions, problems, suggestions, concerns, issues, grievances that you want to talk about here on the show, you need to call 416-870-1050. And if you're calling from out of town, it's 1-855-591-6876. And next, on the other side of the break, we're going to talk to you about why you're being irresponsible and not putting the snow tires on. It's important. I'll talk to you soon. I love that song. That is called The Gardener. And... He is the tallest man on earth. Have you ever heard this guy, Ken, before? I have not. That's a fir- that's the first time I've ever heard that song. Yeah, he's uh, he's an interesting singer. I I like the idea of folk singing. You know, the um, I I think I shared this with you a little while ago that I'm 
trying to record an album. This is just for my own purposes. I'm not going to publish anything. So stop ragging on me when I say this stuff. You know, all my friends are saying, what, you're going to send me a copy? Just to make fun of me. That's the problem. You know, that's what my friend. You know, friends are awful, man. Especially guy friends. They just find reasons to make fun of you. What's up with that? Why yeah, do you guys try, do this to each other? You try to do anything and they just rib you. But that's uh, that's the <laughs> limb that you go out on when you're going to record a music album. You run the risk that uh, you are going to get made fun of by your friends. But uh, it's a, for, for you, it's just like, do you, though? It's your own personal project. If it makes you happy, then who cares what anybody thinks? Well, you know, the truth is that I, I, I wish I could sing, man. I, I, if there was one gift that I wish I would have had was the ability to, to, you know, a nice voice. Because I can sing, but I have a terrible voice. So I do it mostly just for me. But uh, Can't wait yeah, to hear the know, album. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I already recorded one, so this is the second one. I, 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 the first one is uh, it's not that good. You know, the problem is that when you listen to yourself, you, you cringe, man. It's like, ah. I don't know if I want anyone to hear this, but maybe I will grow the testicular fortitude to send you a copy of one of the songs that I recorded. I don't know. How about that? We can have a listening party. It'll be uh, myself, yourself, and Money Mike. Ben, and, can, our, and, our technical, our technical no, operator, and, Ben, can come as well. And Marcus. You know, Marcus, uh, you know, he, he's so cute, man. I, I can tell you that getting that dog is the single best decision that I have made in my life. And that says a lot. Actually, no, that doesn't say a lot because I've made a lot of terrible decisions. But, you know, having Marcus has certainly been a life changer for me. But, you know, I, I wanted to touch on a couple of things and, uh, and remind you once again that as much as I, I try to focus on the automotive industry on the show here on, on Saturday mornings, there are so many other things that we need to talk about, and they are just as important. Um, because the show is, is such a giant spotlight, it's very easy to get people that like the show, people that don't like the show. It's okay. You know, this is just a conversation. I'm not a radio person. I, I never went to school for broadcasting. I, English is not my first language. Um, I've been in Canada for 30 years now, and uh, I have dedicated my entire life, you know, after I finished with the Canadian Army back in the early 90s, um, to work in the car industry. And what I do is I, I try to shed some light into a very obscure industry or at least the perception is that it's an obscure industry when the reality is that it, there's some of the best people that I have ever met I have met in the car industry so what I wanted to do with the show was simply just to you know think of it as a pot and just take the lid off so you can have a look inside so we could dissect everything that happens in a car dealership why do you think car dealerships have such a bad rep Ken why, why is that because to this day is still the same well people just have long memories right and although the industry has evolved over the last 15 to 20 years particularly in the area of commission that we bring up all the time on this show as mm -hmm. your dealerships are the home of the no commission salespeople, the ideology still exists that people think the dealerships are going to be in it for themselves and although that in a capitalistic society you are going to be trying to turn a profit as a proprietor of a business that's just the way the business works but i don't think that they've adjusted to the fact that you can turn a profit as a business while still giving the consumer good value and having their interests in mind. That's a transition that the car business is going through right now. And unfortunately, there's a lot of uh, pent up 
memories and frustrations from probably past experiences that aren't necessarily mm -hmm. holding true today, but people still hold on to. But, you know, here is, here is the irony of, of it all, that uh, the dealerships are in it for themselves. What does that mean? That they're going to make profit? Well, is that, I what, mean, is that I, what that means? I think at the end of the day, when you say that they're in it for themselves, mm -hmm. that would be what people are talking about. Yeah, is that you're in it at the end of the day just to turn a profit and that they don't necessarily care as much about the pro customer as they do about the bottom line. I know in your particular case, that's not true, but that's just what people perceive from a third person perspective. But I, I want you to name me one thing that is out there in the universe that you can buy in which profit is not part of it. Happiness. You can't buy that. Yeah, no, I was you trying to think park, outside the box. You can park no. your G-Wagon right beside it. <laughs> yeah, obviously. But you can't buy it. No, yeah, obviously. <laughs> no, obviously, <laughs> like everything that you're going to buy, it's like that's just the underlying basis of the economy and the way that everything's structured. It's like if you're going to buy something, somebody's going to make a profit and you're going to get the good or service that you're paying for. So it's a two-way street. Yeah, but the, re the reality is this, that you know, from a okay, let, let's just let's just talk about this briefly because it's important that people put this in into perspective within context. Um, most most dealerships right now run uh, truly on a two percent profit margin, because by the time it's all said and done, and you pay all the expenses, you pay all your staff, you pay for the building, you pay for everything, the the car industry in Canada runs on an average of 2% return on sales, the ROS. So, and you compare that to jeans, for example, that run on a 75% profit margin, or phones on an 80% profit margin, or even houses, because believe it or not, folks, they run on close to 50% profit margin. The car industry is one of the most streamlined profit structures of any industry that you could ever possibly be involved with. But at some point, somehow, it became almost uh, dirty for dealerships to make a little bit of money in the process. And, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to bring the car industry to a, a little bit of light. The, the truth is this, that the car is built to be sold for X number of dollars. In Canada, that happens to be anywhere between 7.5% and 9.5% profit margin. That is, the dealership does not give you a discount. So think about this for a second. If you're buying a $20,000 vehicle, the chances are that has anywhere between $1,400 worth of profit to $2,000 worth of profit or just shy of that. That is if the dealership doesn't give you a discount. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. If you lease that car can on a 48-month lease and they give you a $20 discount on your monthly payment, that right there meant close to $1,000 worth of discount, which means that, that it went from a full profit to almost a no-profit deal. So that's how small the margins are whenever you buy a car. And, and the challenge is that you try to convince people of this, and they don't believe you. They look at you as if you have three heads and that whatever you're telling them is not accurate. But the reality is 
actually, I, I believe the reality is is so much uh, is so much nicer than than the perception that people have of the industry. And again, when you have car manufacturers that go onto uh, onto the marketplace and they tell you, "Come and we give you twenty five percent off the price of the car," um, like Chrysler does that all the time, and it, it's a terrible, terrible idea. Uh, for people that think that that's how much money they make on vehicles. You know, we'll give you $25,000 off. What? <laughs> what do you mean? That doesn't not, does not come from the dealership. That comes from the manufacturer. And that does nothing other than to solidify the cynicism that the general population has with the car dealership. But I can tell you this, that having worked for the majority of my career with Japanese car manufacturers and Korean car manufacturers, the, they are so strict when it comes to customer satisfaction that they're not allowed, dealerships are not allowed to move away from a complete transparency. Customer satisfaction is, 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 is actual some of the financial incentives that we have to move the needle forward and sell you more cars because if you're not looking after your customers, guess what? You don't get incentives from the manufacturer and this is something that's part of the makeup of car dealerships so when i leave the phones open here for you uh, and you have a question about the car industry whatever that is if you know there, there is no there is there is no taboo there are no taboos here whatever you ever wanted to know about the car industry i will tell you and you may not like the answer but I'll tell you the truth. And you know why I tell you the truth? Because we are here on the radio. I have to. <laughs> so, you know, if I say something that isn't accurate, guess what? You know, people come all over me on social media and you know where to find me. So if you have a question about the car industry, you can call us at 416-870-1050. And if you're calling from out of town, it's 1-855-591-6876. Or if you want me to help you with the purchase of a vehicle. You can see me um, at where I live. I live at Oakville Nissan in Oakville Infinity. I spend most of my days there. And uh, don't forget that for the remaining of the month, we still have the infamous because it's not making a lot of friends. You know, why do people get so upset with me, Ken? People are constantly complaining. $19 oil change makes my competitors cry, even though I don't even believe in competition. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I find I find this whole thing very fascinating with everybody complaining about business practices that you are trying to impart because mm -hmm. it's like just do something about it. Like you have the individual freedom to do whatever you want as a business to try to compete against your offers. So just complaining about the fact that you're doing something that's drawing more attention to your dealership and positive attention and gaining you more customers seems counterproductive when you should be using that energy to figure out how you can draw some customers into your own dealership rather than worrying about the guy across the road. Like, uh, I, I, I don't get it. Well, you know, unfortunately, this society that we live in is breeding that lack of accountability. It's never your fault. It's always somebody else's. You know what I mean? And this is, this is a problem with, you know, that lack of personal responsibility. So, when we are moving the needle in Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity, it's because we are really dedicated to do a really good job. I don't care what anybody, you know, somebody could be selling cars for, you know, 50% off. It wouldn't make any difference. I don't care because they have to put together a business plan that makes sense for them and guarantee the economic survival of their own corporation or their financial institution um, or, or their retail institution rather. And it's, it's none of my business. We are still, you know, enjoy it while it lasted, folks, because, you know, <laughs> the way society is going these days, I don't know how much longer private enterprise is going to be a thing. But what I can tell you is this, 
that if you if you are complaining about someone and you are not doing anything yourself, then you have to look at your own home before you start looking at your competitors. And um, the idea behind it, uh, behind what I do in Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity is very simple. Just to provide the consumer with a stress-free, no-nonsense, transparent, predictable experience. That's all we do in this place. And, and in the spirit of that conversation, I want to touch on something that we talked about a little bit last week. Uh, snow tires. You, you're changing your snow tires this week, no? I am, actually, you know, yeah. After, well, after our discussion last week, I was already contemplating when I was going to get the appointment in, and I want to do it always before the first snowfall, so I avoid the panic that we discuss all the time, and I don't really want to sit in the waiting room at a tire shop for eight hours. So I have uh, my appointment coming up on Thursday. I keep my snow tires at my mom's place in the basement. She has a little bit more storage than I have at my home. So I'll be swinging by there to grab the snow tires and have them installed, I believe, on Thursday morning this week. Okay, so we are going to get into an argument right now, Ken, and that's okay. Where are you taking the tires to get installed? Honestly, just right around the corner from my house, there's a tire shop. It's uh, oh. yeah, it's Why very, do you it's go to a tire shop it's very convenient. and you don't go to a dealership? Let, let me ask them. What kind of car is this? Uh, it's a 2007 Chrysler Pacifica. Okay, so why don't you take it to the dealer? Honestly, because the tire shop is more convenient for me. It's right, so, around the, it's right around the corner. So let's say that, you know, while you take this vehicle to uh, the local Chrysler store and uh, they are changing your tires, they will look at your vehicle, they plug it into the machine because this is standard operating procedure for most car dealerships. They plug it into the machine and there are some campaigns and recalls that need to be addressed that apply to your VIN number that you would have never known if you went to your local tire shop. Now, they will provide you, you know, if this is a thing, because this happens a lot more often than you think, um, that there are three, four, five thousand dollars worth of work that you can get done on your vehicle for free. Did you know that? I've known that since talking on this show. Like with so, you, with you about that sort of thing. I think so, it, in, in this case in particular, like just with the snow tires, it just yeah. was not of a concern for me to bring it to the dealership versus taking it to taking it to um, just like my local shop. I understand the logic that you're bringing to the point behind there. What I yeah. would say is that there are uh, members of my family who are extremely attentive to these sorts of automobile matters. Yeah. So if there is something, <laughs> like Garth, yeah, perhaps uh, perhaps uh, Garth from Winnipeg. Uh, he <laughs> keeps a pretty close eye on the recalls and that sort of thing. So if there is something that uh, needs to be addressed, then we move forward with that relatively quickly. But in the short term, like it's it's 100% just about a convenience thing for me that it's, you know, five minutes down the road and I can just walk home. I can leave the car there and then go pick it up right afterward. That's uh, so just as simple as that. So it has nothing to do with cost? No. They, well, for me, it's like, I mean, they're fairly competitive on their price point as well. So it's like, obviously, because in the number one reason that I hear uh, people don't go to car dealership is because the perception is that car dealerships are more expensive. And, you know, the interesting thing is that um, we did an exercise last week at the dealership. And um, I wasn't planning on talking about this until the exercise was conducted. And um, we we did a survey. So we call um, I believe it was. 25 different repair shops uh, within the town of Oakville and the surrounding areas. And uh, we did a survey on what the door rate is. Uh, do you know what the door rate is? Enlighten me. The door rate is 
what the hourly charge is for labor when a vehicle goes into a dealership. So if, if the dealership spends an hour on your car, this is the amount of money that you'll pay. Okay. Okay. I follow. So, so we did a survey and we called local shops and uh, I, I'm going to, the reason why I'm not going to read it on air right now, because I don't know about the legality of this. And I want to make sure that I stay within the rights out of everything. Um, so we, we did a survey and we discovered something amazing that our door rate at uh, Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity was the second lowest door rate in the entire town and, or the entire survey. So there are some places out there that they may appear that they are less money to service a vehicle at, but they are actually not. And perception is having a great impact and is doing a great disservice when it comes to the general population going and servicing their vehicles at their local dealers that represents the brand that sells that car or where you bought the vehicle. So let, let me give you an example. If, you, if you're driving a Toyota right now and you are not servicing it at a Toyota dealership, you're doing yourself a great disservice. And I will discuss this extensively in a way that makes sense for everybody because, you know, I, I think the time has come for dealerships to embrace who they are. Dealerships are a staple of the community. Dealers employed members of that community they employ your husbands and wives and daughters and sons those are the people that work within our organizations and it, it is not a fair statement to say that dealerships are more expensive to service your vehicle when you are talking to me about personal anecdotes and we all know that the least reliable source of information or the least reliable source of data is anecdotes Nobody cares about what happens to you. And I mean this. You know, show me the data. Show me what is happening in the population by and large. You know, show me a sample of 100,000 customers that will say, okay, this is how much they pay on an average visit to a car dealership. This is what they pay on an average you know, visit to a, a random shop. And then, then it becomes a reality. You see, at some point, anybody would have had a bad experience. And, and the only way that I can explain this is the following. What people say about car dealership is you can relate it to, all right, I dated a girl when I was 17 and she broke my heart. Therefore, all women will break my heart. <laughs> what do you think about that, Ken? Is that overly simplistic? Is that is that easy enough to understand? <laughs> well, that like as usual, you have a, a way of putting things into layman's terms. So, yeah, that uh, that seems easy enough. So, you know, we're going to take a small break, folks, and I'm going to give you on the other side, you know, four or five reasons as to why it doesn't make any sense for you to be driving a Honda and not servicing at the Honda store or to drive a GM or a Ford vehicle or any brand for that matter and not support your local dealerships. There are many reasons why, but I'm going to try to put this in a way that will actually save you money. Believe it or not, you're going to save a pile of money on the other side of the break. You're listening to The Greg Carrasco Show here on TSN 1050 with Ken Stapen. We are Canada's largest automotive radio show, period. There he is. I remember him when he was probably 155 pounds. 
Last time I saw him at the Sound Academy, he was like 310 pounds. Have you seen him lately? I haven't seen him lately, and uh, I would just like to point out that that was probably <laughs> a good point to demonstrate your singing voice to the listeners, uh, imitating. Oh, no, 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 no. That That's not. Let's just, let's just <laughs> say that we did, but we don't. <laughs> You're giving me far too much credit with that. No, I, 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 haven't, seen, uh, I haven't seen pictures recently. Uh, it seems like <laughs> things might have gotten out of control if that's, a, that's the weight class that he's punching in, though. Uh, yeah, that was, uh, it was pretty heavy. I, I, I saw him at the, uh, at the sound Academy a few years back and, uh, uh he can still sing. I, I don't think he can hit the same notes as he once did, but, uh, you know, he's certainly, uh, that album appetite for destruction is quite possibly one of the best albums of all times. You know, he, it really changed the way that we looked at, um, you know, glam rock or just rock and roll in general. You know, I was, I was there, man. I was, I was sucking that all up in the eighties. <laughs> you were not born yet, were you? No, I wasn't. <laughs> but, that, but that doesn't that doesn't change my appreciation for Guns N' Roses, Axl Rose, uh, Slash on the guitar, some of the best to ever do it. Yeah, that's uh, you know it was it was a fascinating time for music. But anyways, you know b- before the break, folks, we were talking about uh, you know why is it that you're making a terrible mistake by not servicing the vehicle at the brand that uh, that you have or the vehicle or the dealership that sold the vehicle to you. Um, you see, I'm going to start with, with used cars. Um, most dealerships have the capacity to service any brand. And, uh, you know, for example, you know, at my Infinity store, um, you know, Oakville Infinity, we have, we open up something that we call the Oakville Luxury Imports. So you, you can get yourself a brand new Infinity, but also you can get yourself a Macan, a G-Wagon, a CLS. So essentially, you can get yourself anything from BMWs to Audis to Porsches to Mercedes to Jags, anything that you can think of when it comes to luxury vehicles, you can get them out of Oakville Infinity. But, you know, something that is very important uh, before the vehicle goes on the lot, we have to do a full on safety and certification. So our mechanics are fully trained to service high end vehicles at my luxury store, which is Oakville Infinity. Now, when you buy the vehicle from us, and you come back and service it from us, we have the capacity of servicing that vehicle. And one of the things that we do is that we also check for recalls and campaigns. So before we put the vehicle on the lot, often we communicate with the brand that made the car. So if there are any outstanding campaigns, we can actually check the system, we get them done, we get them cleared, and then you have that vehicle done. So now you have the back end of a facility of a group of people that have been there for 10, 15, 20, 30 years that have only one commitment just to keep you coming back. Because ultimately, that's what happens. You know, we develop a relationship with you. We look after that vehicle. And it's, and it's important that if something goes wrong, you can go back to the dealership who sold you the car and they will look after you. Secondly, relationship. When you go back to a dealership, and this is something that doesn't happen on alternate shops. And I'm not saying that they do a bad job. I'm just saying that there is, there is a reasonable argument, argument to be made that you are leaving money on the table or is costing you unnecessary amounts of money uh, when you go and service a vehicle at a place other than an, your actual dealership. You develop a relationship with a dealership. And you know, some of the things that are available to dealerships are this. At Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity, for example, we have a fleet of close to 40 vehicles that we use to accommodate our customers that may or may not 
have transportation while the vehicle is getting serviced, while the vehicle is, you know, is being located. So if you buy a car and you need wheels or you are on a um, you know, time restraint to get accommodate, uh, wheels for you to drive or you're driving a rental car, uh, we will provide you with wheels. So if you, if you have a problem with your car and that it's going to take one, two, or three, or four days, guess what? Most independent shops will not have a vehicle for you to drive. And you know what most likely they do? They send you to the local rental car, and uh, then that is all added to your bill. So you are leaving money on the table by having to pay for rentals that you don't normally have to pay at car dealerships. Do you know what I'm talking about, Ken? Yeah, that makes sense to me. Uh, the most notable story that I have about this um, was I had an issue with the car that I was formerly driving. It's now a number, another member of my family is driving it, but it was a early 2000s Volkswagen TDI, so turbo diesel. Uh, it was like an old Mark III edition. Uh, I had to get it serviced because the fuel pump got burnt out a couple of years back, and it was uh, at around the same time that we just got that massive snowstorm in Toronto. And uh, I forget which month it was. I believe it was January. And it really messed everything up in the GTA. So I couldn't end up getting it towed to the dealership for quite some time or to the private mechanic. I took it to a private diesel mechanic. And then once I ended up getting it there, they couldn't figure out what was wrong with the car for probably about 10 days. And you didn't have wheels. Yeah, and I didn't have wheels. And then eventually when they did figure it out, they ended up giving it back to me. And there were still issues with the car where it was turning off when I turned it on. So then I had to take it back to them again. And then they had it for it, and then they were like, well, we don't know what's wrong with it. Like, do you? And I was like, you guys are the mechanics here. <laughs> like, I don't know anything about diesel mechanics, and that, which is why I'm bringing it to you guys. Anyways, in the long run, they ended up figuring it out for me. But it was inconvenient through that time frame because I didn't have anything to drive. And particularly when I'm trying to get out to this job in particular, it's out in Scarborough, right? The Bell mm -hmm. Media Studios. So it becomes quite difficult to get out here from the downtown Toronto and takes quite a bit of time if you don't have your own ride. That is something you will never have to experience if you're dealing with us at Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity. But I'm talking, you know, when you deal with your dealership in general, most dealerships will have a fleet of vehicles that are available to you in case of an emergency. So that's the relationship that I speak to you about. Um, third, warranties, campaigns, and recalls. Every time you bring the vehicle in for service at the dealership, folks, the dealership has part of the standard operating procedure to hook up your vehicle to the electronic console. Those consoles are worth 20, 25, sometimes up to $30,000. They're specific to the brand. That computer talks to the computers to your in your vehicle and if there is anything that is out of the out of out of normal out of place anything that is any malfunction any codes that need to be clear that machine will tell us right away what needs to what needs to happen and often all these codes are covered by your warranty now can can you know alternate shops get themselves a console for every single car manufacturer and every single car in the marketplace is highly unlikely. So when, when you take your Nissan to a Nissan store, you are essentially going to a specialist. You are not going for you know, an ear infection to your general physician. You need to go to an ear, nose, and throat doctor. If you have a toothache, you don't go to your family doctor, you go to a dentist. And that is exactly what you do whenever you are dealing with that brand. So 
you know, at that point, we check for all the codes, we check for all the information that is provided by the computer system, because right now, most cars will have close to 25 onboard computers. And this also applies to recalls and campaigns, whether they are manufacturer initiated or government mandate recalls. All this stuff is available to you at no charge. So that is something that you go amiss. You, you, you simply don't have when you go to a third party to service your vehicle. Last but not least is goodwill. Whenever you develop a relationship with your dealership, you you are building on this goodwill. Every single time you come in and service with us, we put this into a giant database and you, we can see how good of a client and how good of a relationship that is. And that has a value. So if at any point during the ownership of this vehicle, let's say that you that you have 103, 104,000 kilometers and you've done everything by the book, every service, every oil change, every tire rotation, every service, brake service is done, we will look after you even though you may or may not be under warranties. Folks, you are listening to the largest automotive show in the country and I live at Oakville Nissan and Oakville Infinity. We are the home of the no commission salespeople. If you're still paying commission when you buy a vehicle, you're leaving money on the table for no reason. Don't wait, folks. The deals are crazy at our two stores. Come and see me at Oakville Infinity and Oakville Nissan. You know why, Ken? There's something <laughs> happening here at OakvilleNissan.com. <laughs> 